Welcome to the Emotive Pixels Podcast. This is the episode on Civilization Beyond Earth versus Endless Legend. I am your host today, Nate Stevens. Next to me is... Kelton Ongate. Matt Sasu. Will Atkinson. Alberto Mafabon. <laughs> Matt will be doing most of the heavy lifting in terms of plot and explanation today. We will begin with a question, which is going to be, who is our favorite character from a turn-based game? I feel like, given my personality, the proper answer for me is definitely Yuri from Yuri's Revenge, because he's hilarious <laughs> and evil. Mine only is Gandhi from Civilization, because he would always beat at everybody on the board, even though he's the peaceful lover. I think it's important <laughs> to note that that is not President Beyond Earth at all. No, there is no Gandhi, it's true. Kane from the Command & Conquer series, because he is the best video game villain that there is, and that's just, just awesome. Awesome guy. I would say that Command & Conquer is not turn-based, but I'm going to pick Tanya because I was a 13-year-old boy, so I'm going to let you down. That is fair. I respect Did you that. See? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Also not turn-based technically, but Zeratul from uh, StarCraft. Awesome. So kind of the overall purpose of this episode is to look at Civilization Beyond Earth and Endless Legend, uh, which is a game that came out, I believe, after Beyond Earth, kind of in comparison. So I think the best thing... Best Why way do you to do think that, these two should be compared? They're both fantasy and sci-fi oriented 4X games released around very close time frames and were definitely weighted against each other in a lot of the Game of the Year discussions last year. I had played Civilization V a lot and I got kind of, not tired of it, kind of bored with it and it felt a little samey after Civilization IV, III. I think I was ready for something new and I was really excited for Beyond Earth to fill that void and given how disappointingly Beyond Earth did at fillings the need for something different. I think that that's one of the right main ways that I linked the two, is Endless Legend definitely filled my need for something different. It's definitely been described as just being a skin mod for uh, Civilization V. Actually, I think it's a very good skin mod. I think they did a nice job with that aspect of it, but they don't expand in any any real way right. the Civilization game. I think one of the big problems here was the fact that it was hyped so much it was going to be in space, it was going to be totally different. We were going to do a mm-hmm. different look on how a civilization was built, created, and how you evolved along with the civilization. And then the tech tree it's was not. a downfall, you couldn't find anything, it was hard to develop, and move your civilization along in your own independent path. I think, I think that was a real downfall. Well, in space is the, the key that just lost me. I'm like, oh, this is, where's, where's the space? Right, because you're just on a planet again. <laughs> So I think well, kind of it would be helpful to begin with kind of an overview of Beyond Earth. You start the game and there's a beautiful opening cinematic about people leaving Earth. Would you like to speak about that amazing cinematic after which the rest of the game is a letdown? Yeah, no, it is a phenomenal start to the game and really does set up a beautiful storyline that is non-existent. There is some sort of cataclysm on Earth. They don't really specify if it's war or ecological in nature, but various cooperative groups around the planets, United States, Europe, Russia, China, South Africa, America, South America, yeah. am I missing it? Yes, uh, Polystralia. That's right. All those regions collectively send rockets to another planet. It is implied that they send rockets to various planets, but the game takes place on a single planet where each of these groups have uh, 
dropped off col- sent colonists to restart civilization to make up for the problems that are happening on Earth. The implication being that Earth is completely screwed and that we have to send people off world or the species is going to go extinct. I've heard that there is some degree of personality you can infuse into your game when you play Beyond Earth. Tell me about that, Matt. How different can well, each you have gameplay to have personality, be? Nathan. Oh, I know. <laughs> That's all I have. Depends on your imagination, honestly. They give you a person. They give you a little bit of characterization of that person. So so there's no more great leaders anymore. So there's not great people in this way that they had in Civilization V. You have... I was referring to just the size, the leaders of each, each of the civilizations. There's only eight. Somewhere between six and eight. So you're a bit limited in that. Uh, they, there's no difference between any of these eight sides. All of them are exactly the same. The... Personality is going to come from, in the loading cinematic, they give you a little bit, they give you a blurb, it's like a log entry of that leader, and you get it from each of the different sides. There's some personality differences between leaders, but you can do whatever you want. That personality that's given in the loading screens doesn't affect anything. I thought it was interesting that in previous Civ games, you get a leader who is like a conglomeration of a bunch of these different stab boosts, and in this game... You choose just, each of them individually. There were just five drop-down lists, and you just, oh, I want this thing first, I want to have this bonus attribute, I want this special military unit, that's it. Yes, yeah, so it definitely yeah. works like you do have those five drop-downs. You pick your national affinity, which gives you one perk, some of which are like, yeah. what? Uh, in America... The Africans that, get a plus on yeah. food. Africans get plus on food, America gets espionage bonuses, the Slavic, confe- uh, Slavic Confederacy... So. Uh, is um, they get bonuses to orbital units, the whole yep. uh, Sputnik and then thing. The next so. drop down is like your satellite bonus or something, and you I don't know what the category is described as, but you can do things like reveal all coastlines. Oh, so you get a tech bonus. Your your colonization ship gets a tech bonus. You have reveal coastline thorium reactor to get some additional money when you start out. You get uh, you get one of those perks. Then you get a more of a placement option for where you're going to start the game. Right. Yeah, like a wider selection of where to land your craft. So it's very much like you build your own team each time you start the game, which sounds like it could be interesting, but it doesn't end up imbuing any personality whatsoever to whatever side you choose or build. You can tell by the fact we're having trouble remembering some of these things. It's effectively a non It's not very serious. Kind of thing. You can also pick what kind of the other categories are, what kind of citizens you have. You'll get additional science, money, population. Starting unit. Starting yeah. Unit. You can then, yeah, starting unit, military, worker. Right. Unit. You can get a few different perks in the city. And so, in an it's, attempt to change yeah. that up, I think, they added something called your affinity to the course of the main game, which you build as the game goes on. And that's where they're really trying to bring in the idea of the specialty units that you'd get in previous games by choosing a leader at the beginning. So it's, in this game, it feels more like a voluntary choice. As you go through the tech tree, you unlock progress towards one of the three affinities, which are supremacy, harmony, and purity. I didn't see that pay off in any regard. What, what we, was that we supposed didn't to get very far into it. I can tell you more about that. Yeah. And that's really where personality comes into this game. Right. Instantly, I like how the first time we played it was myself, you, and Kelton, and the three of us immediately chose different affinities. We're yep. like, well, there we go. That says a lot about who we are. Uh, purity being the humans who want to stay human and are very Earth-centric, very nostalgic, and don't want to integrate with the new ecology. Well, the new ecology. In any capacity. living world. For example, when different events happen in the game, uh, little things will come up and you can choose to do one source. The other, for example, at one point, there's an outbreak of 
earth-based seeds into the local environment. And you can choose to propagate those seeds and make them more virulent on the planet in order to expand Earth's ecology into the local environment. Or you choose to uh, have harmony with the planet, contain the outbreak so as not to disturb the local wildlife, basically. Yep. And so, when you go down each of those tracks... <laughs> Wait, you were the purity? I'm always harmony. I was, yes. I was, I was purity. Yes. Kelton was supremacy. Like purity is a hard one, though. Supremacy is the easiest to just guess. Supremacy yeah. is the best because you're deciding, I want to be the best. I want to make Wait. sure that I incorporate everything <laughs> that I can from the old Earth and from the new planet and let's, try to just make it just that talk personal philosophy now, yeah. shall we? Well, Jesus so Christ. Here's a I'm American, Kelvin too. has just pointed out a great example of how you can put your own personality into the game. And if that sounds interesting, it really isn't. <laughs> What's supremacy? Supremacy is you and your, your people in your civilization augment your biology with uh, technology. You become cyborgs. So you, you steal tech from the planet to become better versions of humanity. No, and you don't steal tech from the planet. The planet doesn't have any technology. You develop robotics, cybernetics, okay. to augment human biology. Then and what? you basically dominate the planet. That's the idea. And, in addition to that... Do we want to talk about the endings at all? Because the affinities will affect the endings. Let's talk about that in just a second. After endings. the big overview, or the broad picture of what is harmony, then. Harmony is blending into the local ecology, adapting to the planet. When you first land on the planet, there are miasma clouds that will damage your troops over time if you go for the harmony so technologies. <laughs> well, it's like, hey, not what's miasma? Not if you choose harmony, because then you just, like... Heal from it, yeah. which is exactly yes, where Matt's will, going. You will heal from it, yeah. and you will incorporate... The, so there is the miasma, there is local wildlife, including the um, the various beetles, there's various sea monsters, including and the kraken, and... The your kraken, personal favorite! The siege worm. Oh my yep. god, those things were so annoying to kill, but yes, yes <laughs> those awesome. things are a huge pain. They will destroy your city. In fact, there is... Uh, one particular ability you get through espionage, if you have enough harmony points, a spy in an enemy city can call a siege worm strike. Damn! Yeah, that's that sick. Great? I like the <laughs> I like the analogy that we were talking about earlier. I think we were trying to tell Will quickly, like, very quickly, what they were. It was like for harmony. I think like the Navi and or or I should say Jake, as he became part of the Navi and Avatar. That's and then what was it? Supremacy was Supremacy was the humans who did not like the Navi right. and wanted to destroy that big tree and then the other tree. And then purity <laughs> and was then the we said Avatar, the Nazis. <laughs> Definitely well, the Nazis. It's, that's it's it's you know human supremacy, which you know, yeah, effectively. Matt's like the brilliance of that idea happens to be tainted by the Nazi party. Yes, <laughs> bummer. All right, so now with you all know, that, eugenics are underrated. So, wait, 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 quick question, quick. Well, so, okay, from, yeah, from, from what from what Kelvin was saying earlier, well, you said that supremacy was the best one, right? Because like you take the like the best things of each side, that, right? That's the so, idea. Supremacy, so, you're trying to make the best you. So then I ask you a question. Kelvin might be running his own Starbucks store at some point if he does. Is it going to be like you integrate Starbucks and martial arts into your workforce? Don't forget board games. Oh, and okay, cool. And pop music. So, so no. Martial so combine, yeah. combine the Actually, best things well, of board arts, games, yeah, martial yeah, arts, and coffee true. into your store. How, he, how does that no, he doesn't some... like coffee. No, that that would that would be. <laughs> Coffee. This is gonna be a weird martial arts box with Starbucks's name on it that, for some reason. That would be that would be harmony. That would be taking all of these things and putting them together. No, 
We're going for supremacy, so we're going to be the best going to be in playing board, board games with martial arts moves. Into. Oh, okay. you don't you don't bring in the stupid unnecessary stuff. You just be the best in whatever field you're going into. So, is it going to be a is it going to be a coffee shop? If that coffee when is they go better in, than tea. No coffee. We will only serve coffee. <laughs> if tea is better than coffee. We're only going to serve tea. Those actually thinks yes. Matt, with all that in mind, how do these affinities characterize our end game in Beyond Earth? So to answer your question, <laughs> thank you for taking me seriously. Well, someone has to, in theory. <laughs> Do they? <laughs> there are five endings. One, the planet is alive. You learn how to communicate with it. Two, there are aliens out in space. They have sent a signal to the planet. You interpret the signal, establish communication with them. Three, you open up, actually three and four, you open up gates back to Earth. One option is the Exodus Gate, where you rescue the Earth population, bring them to the New World. Uh, that is for the purity track. That's what that unlocks. The no, that's, yeah. unlocks the Exodus Gate. The supremacy option unlocks the Emancipation Gate. It's the Emancipation Gate, where you send military units back to Earth to and conquer make things it. right. Yeah. And, <laughs> you, and so supremacy is about yeah, augmenting yourself with technology. You basically your civilization becomes very robotic. If you are speaking with other leaders on the planet who are adopting the supremacy track, you will see their face start to become augmented with cybernetics. Bored. Yes. But, uh, yeah, ideally um. without the hive mind and the assimilation and whatnot, but you would certainly go in that direction. <laughs> um, and, you know, if you want to describe your own personality, yes, you are you are creating a Borg civilization. Also, your cities will start to look more like that. In the case of supremacy, the color scheme is gray and orange. So me- gray metal for the metal of the implants, and then orange lights. Yeah. They, they go with that to characterize that. So your cities yeah. start to become orange, gray and orange buildings, the technology on your people start to become that way as well. And you only really see that through the leader. You don't see that anywhere else. Uh, In the case of Harmony... Did we get that far? We did not get that far. We didn't get near that. I started to get that far. I think I got five supremacy points today. You need 13 to unlock the Emancipation Gate. Yeah, you have to get a ways into the game before these affinities really start affecting what you're able to do, I think. It does make the game look cooler. I have to agree. Like The skins and the changes that happen to your units and to your buildings do add a small effect that I did really appreciate in the game. I'd have to say that mm. I think a big part of what I personally was excited about going into this game was being told that they were unit upgrades, that so you could bring your units through the tiers of progression into later stages of the game. Yeah. I didn't find that particularly fulfilling. Was that just kind of the way I was playing and not doing it very well? Um, it's... You, mm. I've never found the Civilization games to be really great at that upgrades for the units. Right. They tend to, they try to do a lot of stacking ones. Either the units become really strong individually, or they bonus the ones around it. I've never found the Civilization game to really just be that right balance for me, to create an effective military that I really liked, Mm. without having really strong individual units of some sort that just were more powerful than my opponents. And that's it's yeah. interesting because that's one of the problems with the old games having to move through the course of history, right? Like it's hard to turn like a cavalry into something that can conceivably compete with a tank later in the game. But in Beyond Earth there isn't really that same pressure of moving through time in the same way. You're not moving through the chronicles of Earth's history. Easy, you just make the horse robotic. Well, that's it's kind of skipping a couple <laughs> steps. Yes, that is fair. Also, that's what some people call a tank. 
Do you think that this game does a better job with that? In the late game, you end up with very powerful units. Uh, Supremacy ends up with massive robots they put onto the field. Harmony Affinity ends up with the Xeno Titan. Oh my god, that thing is awesome! Awesome! It's pretty badass, not gonna lie. Purity ends up with a bunch of levitating tanks, effectively, and those are pretty sweet, too. So, the game looks great, and they've got it. I mean, it really is a very good... Civilization game, it's just not a departure from Civilization 5, it really is just a mod of Civilization 5. As far as what you're talking about with unit upgrades, they, I mean, you have these giant units you end up putting out, but you can't put out a ton of those, so yeah. if you're going to conquer the entire planet, you're going to have, like, those four <laughs> primary units moving across the map while you're backing up with a lot of other stuff. And, so so, and that's how a real army works also. But you so, have to make sure that those units, you are so far advanced beyond the other civilizations to really make those units effective. Yeah, but I'm going to be honest, in no game that I've advanced like like this with the turn-based strategy, or really any strategy, when I get to the point that I have gotten as far as I can go with the tech tree, either I've been wiped out before that, or you're it's just, you're just so, you're just so far gone. It's not, I very rarely encounter a situation where an AI or another human player has been able to match me enough that we haven't wiped each other out already, so I don't, I don't usually see those most powerful units engaging in combat. Mm. Which is a shame, because that would be awesome. So a lot of the reason why I played Supremacy today was to try out the combat, because I've played a little, you know, messed around with combat a little bit before in Civ things. Normally I'm also always trying to do, like, the tech victory or the policy victory, sociology diplomacy. 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 Sociology victory, <laughs> classic. Well, there's a cultural victory, diplomacy. Um, but long story short, uh, combat was basically the same damn thing, and the it has been for the last couple of games. Definitely. Well, they also made a, they made a significant upgrade with combat from four to five. Whereas in right. four, you'd have like a stack of a hundred units on one tile that just plowed through your territory. It's like, how the hell am I going to kill all that? How big is the stack even? Uh, you, you were limited to one military unit per tile, which they which have been beyond Earth, and that was great. That was great. That was a necessary thing to do, certainly. And we're going to return to this with Endless Legend, I Yes, think. we are, because they did it better. I think Boosh. I think one thing to the we might come back to, but is how the... What Matt was talking about, the, you're never at a parody situation. You're never going through the games and you find that you're on an equal footing with other civilizations. It's always either it's too easy or it's too hard. Like, either you are way ahead on the normal, or you put, bump it up one level in difficulty and suddenly everybody else is way beyond you. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think this I is something I've found in other Civilizations games, yeah, that's but I think I don't know if it's something that's just inherent with this Civilization series, mm-hmm. or if it's something with this game that it just seems like you can't get to those games where it's going to be a neck-and-neck race at the end. Yeah, What I've seen in the past, my experience... Looking back at the the score charts, because Civ always does these nice score charts at the end of the game, yeah. it seems like the different difficulty tiers are how far they'll progress up the tech tree, and then they'll just stop. And so it it, yeah. it kind of... I think you're right. They don't do a very good job of... Oh, I think of like Oblivion, where every single zone you were in, the monsters scaled themselves for your difficulty. That was taking it too far in that from the very beginning of the game to the very end of the game... You, you go at it with the exact same equipment and still be meet roughly the same challenge. That's kind of the other extreme. And then this one is, you set that thing two days ago when I started this match, and then by now I can't even remember 
what the difficulty is, why, how it's relevant. Definitely. You think it would be good if they implemented some kind of AI like matching system where the AI looked at what you were doing and kind of like rubber banding and racing, something like that for this? I think it would make it far more interesting. I don't know if it would be as fair, but right. Yeah, that's interesting. It's also tough to contend with because let's say you're playing and you're winning. If you build a wonder, suddenly you're farther ahead and the AI would have to be like, they're not having the opportunity to construct that wonder. So almost in the way the game is played, it's hard to imagine it being very consistent all the way through, you know, but there's there also things... a lot of different wonders. That's you can true. Also yeah. construct. Well, not in this game. There's not. Yeah, that's the, true. Which leads us wonders into the are next very topic. difficult to find. Yes, there's, What's your question? I was going to ask about wonders in this game. Eight, one. There's not as many of them as there were. I in built five. like five. I don't know what problem you guys were having today. Yeah, you, you, I think what you meant to say <laughs> is like, you built all five. But that's. <laughs> <laughs> yes. First so, of all, I think, yeah. So Tim, I think touch what you're getting at. The wonders are well. The wonders in this game have to be different because whereas in Civ Five you're going through and you're building wonders that we all have that is known true. from actual history, they can kind of build it up a bit better. They really don't do a great job in this one of really explaining what is the Stellar Codex and why is it cool and why do I care about it, or the Panopticon, other than being a reference to dystopian literature, why that's relevant, why does that matter? So, two I, things about that. Yes. It's, in this game, it's almost like the wonders are more conceptual, which makes sense because we don't have like a historical precedent to touch upon, so that makes a lot of sense. You can't yes. really have, there's no Arc du Triomphe of space, so they're more like things that are functional in some way, which makes a lot of sense. But you're mentioning a lack of lore in the wonders, is that... Contained to just the wonders, or does that maybe characterize this whole game? Well, I, I think that very much goes in line with what we've been saying about how it doesn't really have a lot of personality. Yeah. And from what I've read, that was sort of an intentional design choice. At least they said that after launch, where they're like, well, we wanted to let the players make up a lot of the story on their own. It's a terrible idea. And it doesn't really work <laughs> out that way. The story's kind of there. It's not even there if you hunt for it, really. If you go into some of the unit descriptions by right-clicking in the right magical places, you can find kind of these long text things, and some of those are really interesting. But there's no context as to why they're interesting. Like the Xeno, the Xeno Titan, its description is really fascinating, but we don't really have a context in the story of our world as to why that's happening or why that's a thing or why should we care. It's kind of like they give you a bunch of plot points and you can fill in stuff from there. Like they almost give you like yeah. bullet points. I would say it's a yeah. reasonable analogy for it. And you can, we can certainly fill in a story for. It. I mean, I think just naturally we would do that. But I would rather be honestly told something a little more interesting than that. Even some of the. Because you know me, I love I love my stories. Yes, it's it's a story. It's exactly what you're saying. It's bullet points without the paragraphs in between. Yes. Now, if there had been cutscenes, maybe at certain points when you say built these wonders, and suddenly there'd be a cutscene across the world rather saying, than hey, just a scrolling blueprint. Yeah. Hey, this happened. Mm. The this event unfolded, and that's why it's going to change the game in this way. If there was something like that cutscene to create a story mode that you really could dive into, maybe it would have been more engaging. Yes. Maybe you would have dived into it as more of a total world instead of individual points that you're trying to get to. About the story, but kind of derailing you guys a bit, I'm having a hard time with the premise, this idea of going off to another planet, but then, like you were saying earlier when you're like, I've built this giant city and I haven't found chemistry yet. There's just something about <laughs> That is true. I, no biology, no or, engineering. Or pioneering. I, yeah. It's like, yeah, that on, is I, know I, just, I know how to build it. I know how to walk out. away. I can do yeah. that. So I, just, I just traversed. Yeah. Like, what the, 
Yeah, the tech. Tr- well, they, I think they do mention at one point that they have lost a lot of knowledge and are having to rediscover things. That being said, that it's hard to imagine losing like, a pioneering. Oh, oh. And like, how did you build the spaceship that was capable of going to another planet? And I was going to. Yeah, that took must put a copy of the internet on that thing. And yeah, seriously, yeah, it's not like hard. <laughs> that strawberry space, fifty <laughs> grams of electrons. Come on. <laughs> I do want to compare it in super minor StarCraft spoilers. <laughs> a lot of Koreans play it. That was a spoiler. <laughs> I, I don't think that's a spoiler. Two or original might not. There's no original. The original's probably still. In that story, it's all about the human race sends off a bunch of colonies, and then they lose connection with Earth, and you're like, what the hell is going on? And all of a sudden, Earth yeah. comes back in to come lay down the hammer later on. That totally um, worked out for him. But I think about stuff like, you know, the introduction with Jim Rayner, he's riding around on a motorcycle, and you're like, oh, that seemed reasonable, that kind of outpost. You think of Serenity, where they're running around with guns, and you're like, well, what the hell are you doing with single-shot guns when you're flying spaceships? But both of those worlds seem to contextualize the reason for being away from Earth, but still, you know, being kind of primitive and grungy. Certainly. This one just... I don't know what was missing, why this just didn't hit maybe, the mark for me. Maybe a little story to contextualize it would have helped. There was none. I think what he's touching on, they don't really explicitly tell you a lot of things in the original StarCraft. StarCraft Two does flesh out a much much more proper storyline. They do give you cinematics, they give you cutscenes, they do tell you a story, and they have those little details in there to make it feel more real. I think that maybe the developers just didn't quite know what they wanted the story to be so they couldn't come up with those little details and have them in there. I have two things. One, I think it's really disappointing. Am I correct? None of us have played Sid Meier's Alpha Centauri, have we? No. No. This there, this game though. drew a lot of ire for not living up to the standard that that one set. So I think that it seems like if you really want a game that really does the lore and the story, from what I've heard, it's still worth checking out that very, very old game. Hmm. Interesting. My other question was going to be... I, and I wish we knew more about that to speak to it, because apparently it's it does everything that this game does in terms of story. Apparently it's very story-heavy, very plotty. When did that one come out? 2001, I think, Whoa. if I'm not mistaken. It's it's quite an old game. I want to say four, like, but whatever. I feel like I'm more trying to point toward the setting well, and I buying think, into the... I think something that might have been able to solve this is to have, instead of just having the game, which is single-player and multiplayer, you dive into this world and you start creating something, instead of having plot, instead of having missions, instead of having introductory either tutorial or mission-like settings like they had in Civ Five, where you could be the British or the Americans and you're going to do the uh, Civil War, and you had that setting at the start. Maybe or have something like that maybe where you had a plot. Maybe they weren't clever enough to come up with that. In the case of those they games, they had historical Avatar, precedent. I mean, how much more creativity do you need? They had. They could have just done something similar to Avatar. <laughs> the Navi plot. That's really the only one we could think of. But if Ron Alberto really likes Avatar. Great movie. Check it out. Um, but if they <laughs> would have five saying, years like, ago, hell, even even the Alien series, they did better with story with that. Like there was something. I, yeah, I, Aliens is another good example of them having super crappy technology, but flying through space. You're like, well, how do these things match up? But it works in that. Well, I think, like context. I think if mm-hmm. they had done something, whereas you you come to the planet and you start off as purity, and you're working through purity, 
Yeah. And then uh, suddenly, more and yes. then, and then, yeah. and then if, you, if it was included in your leader solution. Yeah, you, right, or yeah. you have like a t tutorial setting where you're starting as purity and you're trying to get these purity marks. Your objectives then, are set from the beginning. But then suddenly something happens and you want to go to har harmony or something like that. Yeah, you could and totally then you work have. through it. And then you work, oh, but harmony is not working, so we're going to go to supremacy. You're right. You could totally have like plot moments that come up that contextualize even yeah. changes. And just like they did in StarCraft. It's and the exact same way they did in StarCraft. You had the story, and you were going along, and you had characters you followed. You could do the exact same thing with this game, and it would have drawn you into the world setting. I don't do you know think how they were trying to do that with those quests where you're making decisions? Yeah, but the, the thing about this is the That's more the points most. you accrue... Like, if I get five points in uh, Harmony, and I'm like, I want to go to Supremacy, reasonably the best thing for me to do is quit and start a new game. There's no way... Yeah. I've wasted all my time already. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. I did fairly easily to switch them, but you have to put a lot into the tech tree. Well, yeah. And by the time you get up to the point where you're getting all those points you want in Supremacy, I agree, everybody else is going to be so far ahead of you in their own version. This brings me track. to one of the last points I really have to talk about specifically, which is the tech tree. They made a big priority in this game about the tech tree not being linear in the same way that it has been in previous Civilization games, and I don't really feel like they nailed the best version of what that would look like. It was yeah. super linear if you wanted to win the game. In if you wanted one? to win the game, you had to race to the finish on the tech tree of whatever side you chose. Mm -hmm. And because of that, it became pretty linear for either supremacy, harmony, or purity. I, right. I, it might just be that I haven't had enough experience with this tech tree, but I thought it was way more interesting than any tech tree in Civ before. I, I think, like, there, I think you're right. There, it's a web, and you start in the middle, and you like spider your way out, and then each node along that path is three levels deep, and so you could be spending time getting deeper into one of those nodes instead of continuing to spider your way out. So I thought there were different choices. I Maybe I didn't look at I think figure out what the optimum you no, know optimum solution for the right. end was, but it is kind of a race for three points. But you're right; you can choose kind of what to do along your way there. I think a lot of my gripes come from how it's presented, and we'll talk much more about that in the interface. But you didn't like but, get to those points without but diving think, deep into those right. nodes, right? I think one of the things about it is there's a difference between playing the game to mess around with it and playing the game to win it on a sort of competitive with the game. And if you're playing the game to just play with it, yeah, it's fun to dive into all these different areas. But if you're playing and you want the AI to be hard at all and you want to be able to race them or beat them, win the game, you have to really race to the finish. You only have a certain number of choices you have to make all throughout, because otherwise they're going to beat you to it really, really fast. You're right, and I do find myself, when I look at that tech tree, looking for the ones that give me affinity points, and like, okay, how do I get there? How do I get I, to the next one? How do I get to the next one? I will say that that's something that I, I even, like, when we when I first started playing Civ Five, that, like, when all of us would start playing that, that was the first thing that I thought of, too, is like, okay, racing to get these wonders. Yeah. Yep, exactly. I'd actually say it's a good thing that you don't race to get the wonders in this one. Well, I mean, that was, that was I kind of like that. Very yeah. frustrating. No, but but the, but the idea, say, but the idea, the idea of having to Especially race, not through, knowing until one turn. I know. Oh I guess, I guess my point is just like the idea of having to race through. Uh, You're right. Text. It's not new. It, yeah. In any way. Do people play this really? And this is just a point of ignorance on me. Do people really play this competitively? No. See, the thing is, with no. Civ Five, Civ Four, the other Civs, you'd always find big online communities where people would just play competitively. Oh, They'd always okay. want to, like, they're looking up the tech tree every time. They're trying to create the best advantage. This one, I just don't hear about it. I don't see it. 
I don't see the the networks, the groups about it. I'm sure they're out there somewhere. I don't, you're well, pretty, I don't know if it's representative, but when we were making multiplayer games today, there were three games out there. That was an endless level, oh. wasn't it? The community did not evolve around this game as it has around other civilizations. Maybe it did like at first, just, but I think... I mean, I just remember when Beyond Earth came out, all I could really hear was disappointment. Like, I, like I was stoked for the idea of yep. it beforehand. And the trailer then, was so cool. Yeah, the trailer was. was so cool. You know what I think I wanted? I think I wanted little globes that replace continents, replace water with space, with planets, and have little globes. Yeah, right? so and instead so of you have three people have... fighting on this globe, and then you, you know, do a space jump over to this other planet, and then there's. And it would be cool if each of the planets was characterized by the affinity of the factions on it. You know, like this whole Something. planet was different because yeah. someone was going full on harmony or whatever. Dawn of War did that pretty well. Jumping around between planets in the system, and you had nine very unique, uh, well, very different genre in that in that regard. That's interesting. They had characterized that one really, really thoroughly. I think that probably about time to start talking about Endless Legend, unless anyone has anything more to say about Beyond Earth. Actually, I was just going to time what Kelvin said about the lack of characters as far as following characters. They go through the different quest lines in Civilization. That's Something they do very well in Endless Legends. Yes, it is. You have eight different sides in Endless Legends, and they are all uniquely characterized. They're given their own backstory. You're given a unique hero for each side. You get a unique opening for every side. You get a unique opening, and each side's goals are different. Each yes. side's trying to do something different. Each one's given a quest line that you have the option to follow through on in order to, in order to yeah, beat the game. There are some limitations with that, though. There are only a few unique military units for each side that you get. You end up making them more powerful, but they don't have the kind of expansive, very brighty army that you have with Civilization or with other games. I think we have limited experience, but it sounds like the Guardians expansion basically directly addresses that point. You get end unit or in-game type units for each of the sides. Well, no, you, you, each side has its own unique units. It just doesn't have many. Right. So the diversity that's is not, not so there. much. The diversity isn't isn't. I don't think it's there in Beyond Earth, is it? No, it's not. Now that I've said that, yeah. I'm thinking you have an infantry, a ranged cavalry, and siege. I in think it's Beyond actually Earth and air quite and, comparable. And boat. There's six, there's six types. That's actually it. That's yeah. You get. I, I think huh. it's quite comparable in that way. No. Um, you have a hero in Endless Legend. Yes. I don't, you can get more than one over the course of the game. Yes. Kilton was showing me where you could buy some, the new ones. That was you, cool. you can buy them from the marketplace once you research that from the tech tree, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. That's correct. Much um, like Heroes of Might and Magic. Yes. That is, I would like to hear more about that because I haven't played any of those games. The heroes can't quite die. They can go into suspension if they get defeated on the battlefield. Right, and then you can bring, you can bring, them, bring back. them back. So yeah. it's definitely a core part of the game, sort of the way it plays as a 4X game. Other than that, I think the main functional difference from Beyond Earth is that your units stack on tiles, you create an army, and that unit, with an upper cap of initially four units, and then I think later through the tech tree you can increase it to eight, maybe? A, a, a greater can, number? But I believe you can get up to twelve. Woo! Once you get to I the think end. it starts at eight. It, it starts, it, it starts at four, you get to eight pretty quickly, though. But it's not like a Civilization Four scenario, where you just no. had as many as you wanted, it seems like. combat's very different. But it yeah. seems yeah. like you can get a lot of units on the battlefield, though, if you have multiple armies in the same territory. Right. Yes. So, so, combat in Endless Legend is very different from Beyond Earth, Beyond Earth and the other Civilization games. We're in... The Civilization games, if you attack another unit, it basically computes the outcome based on number crunching and immediately reports it back to you. And in the Legend, it's very much like Heroes of Might and Magic, where the game zooms in, it 
kind of clears the terrain around. It turns into a battlefield. You can place your units, and they're going to be on a battlefield attacking each other. I can elaborate on all of this if you want. So the way it works is you have your army. It, the army's either led by a hero or not, depending on whether or not you've put one there. And you will attack another army, and you go into a battle mode. So you can place your units on various tiles. It's a hex pattern like in Civilization. And you actually take a section of the map that's about 8 by 8 and that becomes your battlefield. So you actually, the unique terrain there becomes part of the battlefield. So one army could be on the high ground, one could be on the low ground. You have some variety in your placements. Um, if there are other armies nearby, within that 8x8 range initially, like they're just hanging out, they can become reinforcements. You get two, initially two, and then through hero abilities, you can expand that to four reinforcement positions, and additional units will pour in. So if you have eight units in your army, and you have four reinforcement points, you'll start with eight units. Four will immediately show up. So you have 12 units on the field immediately to combat the enemy, and they can do this. So combat can get pretty intense pretty quickly. This was, I think, an excellent mechanic. They did the so, combat very well. Yes. So I only did a little bit of the, the combat and was fused, to say the least. So it takes the, a little getting used to, yes. I think we should. All you can do is just point your guys at the guy you want them to attack. Is that right? Uh, you can also maneuver them around. The battles are also in phases of six turns. Yeah. So, like, if you're... A, like, if it looks like you're about to lose, you can basically run for six you can, you can run your units around the battlefield. One thing that sort oh, of... Oh, so there's a maximum six turns for per battle? I should probably expand a little more on this. So at the top of the screen, you have all of the units are going to be given an action, and where they're all lined up at the top. Right. So you know who's going to go first. You know when your unit's going to attack. You know when your unit needs to be on the defensive. Do we know what that's determined by? That is determined by the speed of the unit, I believe. Nice. So cavalry units are given priority... Oh, also, the necrophage are given priority. Uh, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure exactly if that's... I, I wasn't sure if that was because they have higher speed inherently, but when I played as the necrophage, I had a massive military advantage, which makes sense because their whole purpose is to swarm over the planet and kill everything. So... Every unit has a speed, and e the heroes have the ability to also increase the speed of their units through the advancement tree available yes, to the heroes. so there's a tech tree for every hero... Yes. You can equip them with items, armor, like full RPG style, well basically. Characterized. You so can, that was still really can, interesting, but I'm still curious about the combat. Is do different characters get different abilities? Can't you have yes. different movement options? Mm -hmm. Can you target spaces instead of people? Can you you can move to put your units in a way that like melees in front of ranged? Is is there any more nuance yeah. than all my enemies target the one guy, bad guy until it's dead? Well, if you have a lot of units and there's one enemy, that's probably the best strategy. As far as... So again, you know what order units are going to go in. So you can... This can get pretty nuanced in that you're going to say, okay, I want this dude to attack this guy here because he's melee. He's just going to go right there. These two range units need to back him up. Then if you're like, oh, these range units are going to go last, and they've got two melee guys that are going to come over here and probably kill my range units in that time, you have to sort of plan out the entire sequence of everyone gets one turn, what are they going to do with that turn? You can move units around to not actually attack if they're weak, send them to the back of the line. But if they have a low speed and they're towards the end of the turn, they'll probably get killed if they're at the front. Mm -hmm. There's a lot. It's it, it gets reasonably complicated, especially for larger engagements. Um, it's something like Stratego at the start of the game. You have the board is virtually split 
into thirds. So there's a middle a middle part which not, neither player can place pieces on, right. and then each side has about a third of the board that they get to choose where their pieces go on that whole board. Yeah. Now, just like Stratego, there's certain pieces that you want in the front. You want your strong attacking guys in the front, but there's also certain uh, creatures in the game that have abilities to like strike all the creatures around them, yes. or to strike all the creatures in a direct line in front of them, or there's a few creatures that also have ranged attacks. And so you want to make sure when you're setting up your armies, that you have that advantage of, like your strong units in front, blocking whatever your weak units are that might be ranged. However, neither side gets to see the deployment of the other side until the battle starts. Yeah, right. And that is something, thank you, God, that is something so, I forgot to mention. Yeah. You can organize your units at the start of the battle, oh, though, yeah. when you go into it. You can say, these are my cells, put my main line up here, defense uh, range line here. Is that yeah. something different with fighting people? Because when I fought yes. some monsters, they were just there on so the So monsters are generally, they're just deployed on the board and they won't move at all. Now, if you do get to be a lot of monsters on the board, especially with re reinforcement units, they will change, but that's only later on in the game and also at the higher levels of difficulty. But definitely at the easy, when you start out, they're all only placed and start where they are positioned on the board at the start of the sort of battle sequence when the board pops up. In my mind, I'm comparing it to Final Fantasy Tactics or the XCOM games mm -hmm. yeah. where you're... And I really love the combat in those. Are you? Would you say that eventually this gets to be complicated and intricate like those systems? I had a really hard time with the combat when I started. I... I probably restarted five games or so just because I could not figure out what I was supposed to do. Once I did, I got really good at it. It was just, it was, it was very, very enjoyable. Yeah. The Is combat's... there like a, an optimal solution? You just know what you're supposed to do when you start combat? Um, so you, it would so be one of the things that I found a little annoying about it is at the start of the round, you decide whether your units are going to be attacking or, or defensive. Defense. And then in the middle of the round, you don't get the choice to change that, at least not that I've seen. Yeah. Which yeah. which is different from games like Heroes of Might Magic, which I played before, whereas you could choose every round whether the unit is going to attack, defend, or just move. In this game, you only get two options. If you choose to attack in your initial phase, what you do is every turn you're going to choose where to attack or where to move. If you choose defensive, virtually you're just choosing whether your unit's going to move or stay where it is and defend when it gets attacked. What's the value in that? Why would you well, ever choose that? Because if you're defensive, you get a bonus to defense and you're most likely to, you're more likely to survive the encounter. If you want to just run away... Oh, because there's only six turns. Yeah. Right. If you want to yeah. just run away, if you just want to survive for a couple turns because you have another army coming in to support you, sometimes the defense is a good idea to just last long enough to get reinforcements and be able to survive for another yeah. turn. But offense is the best if you just want to wipe out the other army. It's also worth noting that at the beginning of every battle, you get a screen that summarizes your chance of winning. You can yeah. choose a strategy there. And you can choose to either do it yourself, have the AI do it for you, or just have it all go away and instantly be simulated. But in general, you don't want that, and it doesn't turn into the same thing as, like, Civ combat, where it's immediate, because the AI is going to simulate placements, and if the terrain is funky, a lot of times you might lose battles you might otherwise not lose. So it's generally, I didn't do that as much as I wanted to. I definitely had some battles that I was expected to lose, and then I put my one damage-soaking guy in the front, and there was a nice canyon, so he was the only person taking yep. damage from the melee unit. 
notice that all my ranged guys were behind firing arrows. And I won that battle pretty handily. I was 75% expected to lose. Yeah. But terrain, terrain helped me out right there. And as far as knowing what to do, it sort of takes a little time to get a feel for it. You have to know, first of all, what all of your individual units can do. And it's not... Between sides, you don't automatically start out with foot soldiers. Like, the first units for the Draken, the dragon race in the game, they're basically grunt foot soldiers, but the first units you get for the vaulters are ranged units that you don't want on the front line. So that was the case where I put my hero as the damage-soaking guy in the front, and all my ranged units were in the back, because I just had a basic army at that point in time, and I was fighting centaurs or something. So let me ask you this. Once you're far enough into... Once you've played, you play this game a lot. Once you're through, yeah. at that yeah. point, when you get in combat now, is there a rhythm to it? Or are you still yeah? There's using a rhythm your brain to it. I, kind I, of I, can, I can very quickly say this goes here, here, and I've played a lot of strategy games. I'm pretty good at this at this point. So okay. instead of all your units, doesn't matter like how strong they are. It was like the top health was a hundred, and so in all of the oh. battles, I forgot <laughs> to look at like how many hit points I had, and so like at one point in time, so I got hit with like fifty or something like that. I was like, "Shit, that's half of my!" Oh wait, no, I've got two hundred and fifty health. Okay, never mind. Nice. This is or the opposite. You only all have right. twenty health for a unit because <laughs> it's really, really, really weak. Right. And you get hit for twenty, and you're dead. Right. In this game, compared to other ones, it's definitely not just a 100-point scale, so you have to be much more careful with the numbers. Yeah. We need to talk about our experience with this game. So I think it's important to say that for you, Will, you showed up today and played Beyond Earth and Endless Legend for the first time. Both games for the first time today, Uh, yeah. You have a lot of experience with Forex, I'm assuming, and definitely a lot of experience with Civ, but this was your... You were fresh to both, so you kind of give us a good perspective on coming at it from that angle. Kelton, you hadn't played... you, You played enough Endless Legend, right? I've played about 25 hours of Endless Legend, so I've gone to the gist of it, I've gone through it, I have not gone to the ending, though. Right. Matt's our resident hours. expert. Have you even got out of the tutorial yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, so that's... Oh, here I comes, here comes you the you old might guy. have a very different experience if you did the tutorial. The tutorial in this game is actually pretty good, compared to... It explains quite a bit. I don't think Beyond Earth is so good. Well, I didn't do the tutorial Beyond Earth. I started playing it like Civ, and I Wait, just plowed on through. I didn't miss. I, I guess I missed it in the options. Well, where was the tutorial? I clicked New Game and, and didn't Legend? see anything no, like in that. Beyond yeah. Earth. Or, no, Endless Legend. Yeah. Endless Legend. The leftmost I think menu option is Introduction. It's very prominent in the menu, and it's. Oh, really, that's really the tutorial? Quick. It's to the left yeah. of New I kind of assumed that that was just like the thing. intro, like like the intro movie. That, yeah, that's what I interpreted it as. I didn't click it, but yeah. That's that's okay. Let's let's verify. Developers, you should make that tutorial, not introduction, please. <laughs> it is introduction. Inter- Although right it does, it never mind. Says it does for your credit, for your credit, it does, it does say, say tutorial uh, scenario. See, this is this is Nate. Including Nate looks at the basis. words, and we looked at the picture. The picture says <laughs> this picture, is a movie. That's very true, isn't it? Uh, but but, but we're not going to allow any uh, shitting on the interface of this game because that's a whole section. How much fucking better it is than Beyond Earth's garbage heap of an interface. I the love first right-click. point. I, okay, so <laughs> yes, in in this legend, there's a few key concepts that to got, tie together a lot of the interface, and one of those is no matter what screen you're on, right clicking will dismiss it. When you go back to Beyond Earth, it is crippling not to have that. It is yeah. awful. The tech tree you is go just find the yeah. cancel button that's not even it's, in the corner. It's like that's in the middle because yes. it's awful. I did not know that, so every screen that I went to, I looked for where the <laughs> exit bunch was while I was playing Endless Legend. They are all over the place. They are. Yes, they are. They are. <laughs> so that would have been nice to know that right clicking could have just got me out of it. It's so funny that. 
that even became a thing. I mean, you don't think about that. No. But the opposite of that is, in Endless Legend, there's all sorts of... There's a lot of notifications in the game. Let's say you complete a wonder. When that thing comes up, you can immediately right-click and it'll go away. It's a very smooth, fluid animation. It's gone. There is a dismiss option. Usually in the menu somewhere it will say the word dismiss with an X. And almost always there's an option to dismiss permanently never see this message again which is awesome so you don't have to fiddle through the menus for hours if you never want to see your stupid well someone completed a wonder i just don't care that's been a Civ thing forever too one of the things we were talking about earlier is that Civ has this way and this is probably just because i'm comfortable with Civ, but before the end of my turn it will make sure that I have done something, engaged every unit, every city, right. something before I'm done with my turn. And Whereas, in this Legend, you can totally leave units idle without being yeah. warned. There's a button to trigger an active unit, or inactive units, but... Yes, there's a button to toggle through every unit that has not finished using up their moves for the turn. However, I totally agree. In the Civ games in particular, even if you created a path for that unit to follow, if nothing else, that unit would continue to follow it if you went to the next turn. In Endless Legend, that's not the case. That's not true. I will tell you how that works, because I think it's interesting. In Endless Legend, let's say I take a unit and I tell it to make a move five turns away. What happens is that first move, it immediately starts moving. I click the next turn button. The next turn starts, the unit does not move. When I click end turn, the unit commits its move. And the button next to the idle button... It, that is true. That is how it works. Yes. It and I understand really why... Multiplayer. multiplayer was a little wonky today, not going to lie, but that is how it does work. So Maybe in single game, but, but listen, listen, because I have something else for this. Right next to the button that selects your idle unit, there's a button that says commit moves. And what that does is it forces the unit to move at the beginning of the turn. Because the reason it does that is there are times in Civ where I would make a unit do something, and then I'd kind of forget the next turn, and I'd be like, oh, fuck, I didn't want it to do that, but it's too late, it's already moved. In this game, it's giving you the full length of the turn to interfere and tell it to do something else instead. And at the end of the turn, it will commit to it. But that's what that button is for, is kind of just to have it do it from the beginning of the turn, which I thought was interesting, and I was confused no, by I, it. I love that, too. I noticed when I was playing single player that it did that, yeah. And I enjoyed that, but when we were playing multiplayer today, I noticed it was not doing it. My, I see. My units would stay saying, hey, it's going to take three turns to get there, and it'd be four <laughs> turns later. And I see. Like, okay, what happened here? We did have some strange experience with multiplayer, but we also Indeed. did turn on turn timer. For 60 seconds, which oh, was a mistake. God. I would have loved to have been here to see <laughs> it that. It was hilarious. It You're like, what do I do with the tech tree? Go! I would this, have this, loved this. to see that. <laughs> I, holy crap. That was one and of the things, so like, when we would play multiplayer, the three or, God say it, the four of us, and we'd just be sitting there like, come, God damn it, make up your mind! So, <laughs> was, of course, particularly stressed for this. But the thing we didn't really consider is how combat would affect that. Because sometimes combat starts at the beginning of the turn, right? and you get a oh, limited wait, time that... for combat. Oh shit, does it only but... give you a minute also for combat? Well, no, so no, it gives you unlimited time for timer. combat, but if you have combat at the beginning of the turn right. and you take as long as you want, right. that 60 seconds for your turn starts at the beginning of the turn. So if you take more than 60 seconds for your combat, you're going to. Oh. When your combat ends, it's like, cool, turn's over. Oh, snap. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Oh, snap. Fuck. Whereas <laughs> the opposite was also frustrating. You get a full 60 seconds to do your turn, you're like, mm -hmm, move this guy over here, okay? And you move it over there and combat starts and everyone else is like, sitting there staring at the bottom corner of the screen. It's like, player in combat. I'm like, who the fuck is it? What are you doing over there, Kelton? How many troops are you moving? 17. Fuck. So, 
It was pretty dysfunctional. And then Will got out of sync, which is interesting. So he ended up like really playing a different game or something. So instead of just Maybe throwing an error, sure, though. instead of throwing an error and kicking us out into the menu annoyingly, it right. was it was and warned me, the host in the corner. Hey, one of the players is out of sync. Quit to the menu and we'll recover it from when they lost sync. <laughs> and so I was like, ignore that for five turns. And then I read it closely and it was like, from when you lost sync. Oh, that's unfortunate. I'm gonna keep ignoring that. And then I yelled out to Will, Hey, you've been out of sync for a lot. Do you want to lose all that progress? And then we went back to playing single player. I did like that as a concept, as a way to keep us going. I think it, I, I would have felt more comfortable in Beyond Earth with something like that. The right. way we ended up doing Beyond Earth was in the hybrid mode where... I hated that. We did it in the hybrid mode for Beyond Earth, which is everybody goes at the same time unless you're in combat with somebody, then you do it one after the other. Right. And we were, well, I in particular was messing around trying to fight everyone. And so, <laughs> How'd that go for you, by the way? <laughs> Pretty darn well. He catapulted from I was dead last at the into, like... dead last. Yeah. I took I... over one city and was about to start steamrolling my entire continent and just flew up the list. <laughs> <laughs> so that actually touches what I was going to say with both of these games, because this is definitely what I've noticed. You just get a really strong military. And I think this is more characteristic of really any strategy game, just get a really powerful military, steamroll across the map, and you're going to win, you're going to get a really high score, you're going to have really high science, and That's how entire cultures have worked up until America. I, that is also how America works, thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, but it's just much. culturally. But, but yeah, you're there right. There are things, like, I had the health Health in this and game. Beyond Earth is happiness in Civilization Five. I was yes, sitting at, like, negative ten health the entire game. Yeah, I was really bad, really and then I cleared it up, bad. and nothing changed. I was like, oh yeah, why did I do that? So in Civ Five. We got to adopt the Alberto attitude about money in Civ Five. I was just gonna say, yeah. like I remember, like all the time we would play like Civ Five. Or I had forgotten this. They'd be like, "So hey, Alberto, how's it going over there? Like, why, like why can't you do this yet?" It's like, "Hold on, I will go help you when I can." Can you just give me some money? No, pop down like negative forty money and like I need to put down a number of revolts. Yeah, I have revolts in my territory. <laughs> He's like, oh, it's I'm not a big deal. I'm losing cities. No, it's true. It was like, like, that was actually one of the things that aggravated me the most is the moment that any of you guys got to, like, maybe, like, negative 12, you wanted to restart the game where I'd be, like, sitting there for, like, half the game at negative 40 or negative 20 and be like, oh, it's there okay. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll do what I can. There was too like, many jokes. Okay, so I had the same, ex- I had basically the same experience when we were trying our multiplayer Endless Legend where I was just not figuring out what the hell was going on. You didn't and- do the introduction and it was the first game and you insisted on playing multiplayer and then you're like turn on a turn limit <laughs> like you have to admit that you went into this with everything against I just you. said that no but I really want to make it clear how bad it was so I finish what was the worst say. game right. I've ever played of this was yeah. awful All right, so, so the continue. result was at some point like I didn't have any really armies on the board, so I was like, "All right, whatever." And I was building up my little three cities. I was like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." And all of a sudden, it was like, "Ah, oh, you couldn't make your books this month. We sold these three buildings for you." I was like, "What?" <laughs> and, so and then every continual... lost money continuously for decades. <laughs> every continuous turn, it was just <laughs> literally. Hey, but my cities, my yes. cities kept going, and if anything, like I was, right. I was, I was fine with them just like getting rid of one of my units and and save because. I would usually have some city state, say, oh, and like some city oh, state just like Earth. just gifting me units. I was like, sure, go ahead, like gift them because like, I'm gonna need to get leveraging units and money. My city's broke. Don't get me wrong. I know I was fucked up by that, particularly at that part of the game. I was just like, what? You, 
Now you're just going to kick me while I can't even, <laughs> I can't even get the, my freaking economy off the ground. You're just going to take everything away. What is this? The World Bank? This sucks. Fuck <laughs> the IMF. <laughs> There's a couple other things I think we're missing that really make Endless Legend unique and, in my opinion, interesting. One of those is, again, kind of with the interface, but kind of tying together with one of the core concepts of the game. In terms of founding cities, you start out on the map, kind of like traditional civilizations. You can move your unit around and you start a capital. Mm-hmm. When you do that, you're in a certain territory that's probably about, on average, 20 tiles wide, maybe 20 by 20, kind yeah. of randomly generated with map. Actually, that can vary quite a bit. You can get really tiny regions. It's interesting. And like Civ, there's a lot of map generation presets and options, except they're all way better presented. The, the interesting thing is... huge compared to what I was expecting, by the way. And beautiful. They, they are gorgeous. But the interesting yeah. thing is, you can only establish one <laughs> city per little region. Really, dude? Really? Yeah. Are you fucking okay, serious? So, okay, I, I, he only <laughs> you did think me, this game was gorgeous? Showed, he only showed me this. I don't know if you guys heard, like saw this from Will, but so I got back from teaching today. I come into my room, and he's like, Alberto. And he does like the zoom <laughs> the zoom out, and the zoom into uh, the... You, it's you beautiful. Switch, if you switch out of the game right. and then back into the All game, right. it rebuilds the yeah. entire... It That's does, cool. It does um, the Game of Thrones building where yeah. you, you build... Everything game, comes yeah. up out of the ground and it and becomes it's awesome. It's gorgeous. Which is... Yes. I have to say that it's... And surprisingly enough, even though Beyond Earth is quite a big game, it ran better than Endless Legends on my computer. The graphics were just too much, even on the lowest setting for my computer. Which is weird, because on mine it's the opposite. With Endless Legends? Like, you couldn't play Endless Legends? Endless Legends is a Unity game. uh, Even, even, like, changing your video to passes? My issue with the pretty graphics isn't that it didn't look good. It's just that I... It wasn't terribly interesting. I didn't like what was there. It was unnecessary for gameplay? No, it's just that it wasn't... Endless Legend was super generic. Beyond Earth was... It felt like a plain skin on on Civ. It didn't didn't feel futuristic. Maybe it feels more when you get to the end of the tech tree, but from already being on another planet, I feel like I should should be running through the Matrix here, man. It felt <laughs> the end of the game is a little weird. Spoiler alert! Uh, like in uh, it's it's not in Beyond Earth. <laughs> you don't correct me if I'm wrong, but you don't see the whole tech tree right at the start. You do, like, you, you do, know, you, you do. see the whole tech yeah. tree. Well, yeah, and that's and the first time you bring it up, it has to load well. for like three seconds. Yeah. Okay, and something that I wished in Beyond Earth is that the tech tree evolved and continued to show new parts of it as you progressed. But that would make strategizing difficult for you in particular, wouldn't it? Yes, I love strategy. I love plotting things out. However, in Beyond Earth, since you're in a futuristic society, that's that's totally beyond something that you've ever experienced before, it should be evolving as you go. You should be delving into new things every time you advance your technology. Is love narrative distance. And so you should (laughs) find out your new progression options as LND. You should no. find your new options, and they should show themselves on the screen to you right, because as you move up to the next level. Or you just even like... XCOM? The new XCOMs? Oh, you might like those. Yeah. But you're right, though. I mean, if it is set in the future, it doesn't make any sense that you can see all the tech tree. So a little more about Endless Legend. There are six eras of tech that you go through, and as you get enough technologies in the first era, you'll go to the next and the next. You can see the whole thing, but you can't do anything with any of the higher eras and you get there. I was not a fan of Endless Legend's tech tree. So Endless Legend's tech tree, unlike the spider web of Beyond Earth, is 
six spheres divided into four quadrants. There's no hierarchy not, within those, those quadrants. Okay, excuse me, six circles divided into four quadrants, <laughs> which are military, economy, military, two economy, economy prosperity, and, and something. Um, they're basically science and money. Yeah, and so you can get a, several texts from each of those. I mean, you build up enough text researched in one area, it moves on to the next. The expansion, as far as I can tell, it was the expansion that added this, added some sort of progression that appeared, three different options that appear to the left of each circle, which there were certain conditions for getting those. It added kind of more of a race, kind of like the Wonder Race was in previous Civ games, where, in our case, Kelton and Matt would get them every time. And it would be like, hey, Kelton got the thing, and uh, now you can't get it. There was also no dependencies other than yes. the other, other than, than the, the previous arrows. tiers, yeah, or the tiers, whatever you yeah. call them. There was no you could get any one at any time within yeah. that era, which I or even go back liked, which kind of related to Civ's thing, really. It's, there uh, weren't a lot of technologies though. There were a few in each of those four yeah. uh, divisions, so I thought yeah. that was all right. I have to say though, I agree with Will. The tech tree did not draw me in. It I did not have to really plot it out. It was it didn't seem super complicated. It didn't seem super engaging. I felt like it was at the same level as Civ Fives, for example, where there, there there were things that I would do every time, excepting major, like if I would change leaders, I'd kind of think about a slightly different strategy, but ultimately my goal would be the same. There are things in Endless Legend that I do every time. Beyond Earth was kind of different, where I'd strategize what endpoint I was racing towards, but it was... Oh, I, wait, wait, no, that's, that's actually a very... To expand on what you were saying earlier, Kelton, about how you would just race towards the one thing, if you wanted to switch how you're playing the game very abruptly, you could do that very successfully in Endless Legend. If you're doing economy the entire time, suddenly, oh crap, I need a powerful military. You get all the military stuff in that era, you are immediately on par with everyone else. You do not need any of the previous stuff. Some of it, there was, there'll be one tech that'll expand your army size that for the back, that'll help. That's the only exception. All the newer stuff you can get immediately, and you can completely change the way you're playing the game. In fact, I think I did this when I played through as the Necrophage. I pretty much just went with all the standard options and went through pretty evenly balanced. And then once I got to the very end, in Era 6, there are six technologies. One military, and then they kind of kind of spread out between the others somewhat evenly. The military one basically makes your army unstoppable. It, it's plus it, like 100% health plus 100% yeah, attack. It, yeah, it's, it's pretty doubles, significant. It doubles the power of your units in every area. So yeah. it's like, okay, that pretty much means if you have a functional army, you now have a super powerful army. And going back to what I said earlier about how usually other players aren't on par with you once you get to the late game, you get that, you're pretty much set. You don't have to worry about anything after that. On the other hand, if they get there before you, they will catch up to wherever you're at. <laughs> that is very true. What I did see was the hero progression looked really interesting in this game, and yes. unfortunately I didn't get a chance to play around with it yeah. more. Can you expand on kind of what kind of stuff is being done there? Yeah, absolutely. The heroes are very well done in this game. Each hero has several different areas in which they can have their own attributes. They can make the military more powerful. They can make the civilization overall more powerful. They can make themselves more powerful, their units and armies more powerful, and then the civilization overall more powerful. And I forget what all of them are, but you can get some really good ones like, for example, during the winter season, which comes around about every... Which we haven't even touched on we yet. Have. Just real quick, the winter 
happens approximately every 20 or so turns, and it it's lasts slightly randomized. It lasts for about 5 to 10 turns. Over the course of the game, the winters get longer and are more frequent. And that is the overall storyline of the planet of Auriga, in that the planet is having a massive ecological disaster. The planet's basically not going to be able to sustain life by the end of things. Which is awesome. So, I really sorry, want to to spoiler story, but... alert. Sorry. Um, <laughs> This ties in with the plot of their other games, right? Yes. Cartoon Studios does a bunch of games that usually have endless in the title. Yes. And I can we table the story for just a second? Because I'm really interested on what's what's going on. But still, there's there's like a more detailed tech tree on the hero than the kick. Yes. Each hero has a tech tree. Ability tree on each hero. I want to delve into this a little bit. So I played Heroes of Mind Magic. That was my first introduction to any game like this. I really like that. And each of the heroes, you got to equip them with a bunch of armor or weapons. There was super interesting and they had storyline to them in the Heroes of Might Magic There was series. a storyline to the shield that I picked up. Yeah, was, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that, yes, yeah. And this game is full of It's lore. the same thing in this game. You get shields and you get swords and you get things you equip to your general or hero that make them more powerful. But along with that, the tech tree, you get three different branches for the tech tree. You get their base ability, which is going to be boosting their units, the cities and your empire, or themselves. You get a central one, which is every type of hero can uh, choose those attributes. And you get a third one, which is specific to that race. And you get these progressions you can progress up for each of the heroes. And in each of those progressions, you're going to have different abilities that you can influence. And each of those abilities are also going to have tiers so you can make them better or worse. Now, some of the heroes, they have a really strong late thing. So you want to just rush up. And some of the heroes, they have, uh, they're not that strong late game, so you just want to beef up their initial abilities, which will add bonuses. A lot of the bonuses I like were ones that beefed up your army, because they would continue to give experience and make your units stronger as you're going along in the game, or make you faster so you're able to cover more territory. That's something that I love in games like this, is that you can have a character that becomes like your personification on the map. And you're able to dive into them and make them your personal representation on the map, so it draws you in a little more for a lot of players. I think that, like Warcraft the, Three to me. Yeah, <laughs> no, actually, yeah. I'd say Warcraft yeah. Three is a pretty good analogy. Yeah. But I think the fact that you found lore in the items in this game ties into the fact when you're on the map and you run into a new faction, it pops up with a big old dialogue and a beautiful picture that tells you about them. And there's definitely lore everywhere. The game's kind of dripping with lore. One of the things that makes this game a lot different than the Civilization games. And there are a couple things, is how cities and expansion works. When you start the game, much like the older civilizations, you start out with a unit, you can use that unit to found a starting city, and beyond Earth, you get a craft that lands, and you have a very narrow window of where, you, where that could be. In this game, if I'm not mistaken, you can take as many turns as you want to kind of find where you want to start, right? That's true. That was also true in the old civilization. If you right. wanted to wander a bit, you could do that, but that was very dangerous, dangerous and disadvantageous. You can do that too here. And yeah. interestingly, in Beyond Earth, there is staggered starts, which I don't think there was in any of the other Civ games, were there? That's very unique, yeah. no. Yeah. I, mean, yeah, I feel like that's pretty disadvantageous to those who start later. Right. Yeah. But Maybe. it's never you, right? Or do, no, you do AI start, start before. So, is that the same as in, like, if you're playing multiplayer online? Or I would assume all not. Started at the same yeah, time. Yeah, sure. at the same time, yeah. That would um, be a very bold choice otherwise. Yeah. So in this game, when you do start and you found a city... I could see ways you could do it. Yeah, but... All the AI suck. <laughs> They're <there. laughs> You start with five extra population in the city. Yeah, that's I true. I would choose to be later if I got extra people. 
Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you drop in with two military units. I, would, I mean, uh, this. When you do found a city, what happens is, and this has a lot to do with the presentation of the map. When you zoom out, it transforms from being a populated animated cityscape into kind of more like a an animated hex grid of what each of the regions look like, where it kind of colors them very basic bright colors. You can see some icons of the resources, but other than that, it's about it. And the map is divided into these little regions that are usually pretty small, but sometimes can be a little bit bigger, depending on the size of your map. And when you found a city in that region, that entire region becomes yours. And there are usually minor factions within that within that region, and you get some quests that'll come up along with that. And you can eventually conquer or pacify those re- those minor factions and they can produce units that'll be integrated into what the city in that region can produce. But you can't found a second city in that region. Instead, you found extra cities in regions adjacent, and you begin to sort of colonize the map section by section, which is much different than how it's done in Civilization. And I've it's- never liked the way that Civilization's cities interchange with each other. I mean, there's some interesting stuff about building the routes between cities or using, like, rivers to become routes. But if I put two cities close to each other, then you can get the the routes and they'll start building on the yeah. area of effect earlier, but then later as they go on, they basically have a hard cap because there's not as much space, ground resources right. that you can use for each city. And in Civ in particular, once you've built that city, you're, that is you're set for... For all intents and purposes, that is a decision that's going to last until the end of the game. I also think it has a lot to do with, at least for me, when I build a city in Civilization Beyond Earth, it feels very permanent and weighty. It feels like you're reeling for many turns to deal with that decision. Especially in this game where you have to turn a a city from an outpost into a city and it takes fucking forever. And once it does, your production is crippled and your health goes down and you're kind of working for a long time to build that back up. It doesn't feel that way so much in Endless Legend. It's much easier to just run out and establish a new city. I was surprised about that. Which I think is awesome. I didn't get to play through much of it like Will, but yeah, like I remember I was scared at first about building a city and like, okay, when should I do it? What blah 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 and when I did, I was just thinking, This thing is getting up to par with my other one really quick. Yeah, which I like. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a lot easier to buy buildings for the new cities, like you can build a foundry pretty quickly in a new city, that gets your production up there pretty fast, get your food up there yeah. pretty fast, the building, money and science, the two other main things you need. Those do you actually mean buy, like you civilization buy? buy or I mean, you like can do that too, yeah. Buy. So there's dust in on in this game, that's your money, and um, it's gold dust, there's has some, it has some weird magical properties that they talk about in various... Uh, contexts, but it's effectively money. That's your money. You buy the building, and your cities definitely get bigger a lot. Yeah, you they, can they expand functional them. a lot faster. You don't have workers faster. in this game, but your cities can expand outwards into... Burrows. Yeah, into burrows, which is an upgrade you buy from the central city, which is interesting. Yeah, okay. so you will get additional food, production, science, dust, and the additional tiles that you expand out into, you get those resources as well. So right. like in Civilization, you'll assign a person to a tile. In this game, you assign a person to a function. One, of, one of those four resources and then influence. Influence is political, so you can declare war with it, make peace with it, and you make an empire plan every 20 turns to decide, okay, I want to be economic, I want to be military, I want to be scientific. Right, and that's where your influence goes. uh, Imperialistic in some way. Yeah. So, and one of the, so it's interesting because when you have a city in a region, you don't work tiles in the same way, but you can build upgrades on resources that become visible throughout the game. And you basically have unlimited reach out to the tiles at the furthest extent of your little region there. Yeah. So you can just 
just build an upgrade even if it's out of the city proper's boundaries. Yeah, oh, yeah. it can be in the other end of the region. If it's within the region, you can build yeah. an improvement. And I think it's very cool. In the region, that is basically their area of control. Right? That's their yep. territory. That they control the whole area. I yeah. want to dive into this just a little bit because this is where I love these games. This is where I can dive deep because every turn in Endless Legends, I am constantly looking at every single person and seeing where I can maximize my potential to get the furthest that turn and set myself up for the best later on in the game. Every turn in every city, you can do that in Endless Legends. (laughs) It's why my turns take so long, but it's also why I get so far ahead. It's where I I buy my advantage through (laughs) looking at every single turn. Whereas in Civilization, my turns do take longer also because I look at the workers and how can I best use their working to set myself up for the long term but in civilization once you do an improvement on a tile you're pretty much you never look back yeah i also never look back i'm i'm pretty much set with that for almost the rest of the game because i don't want to waste my workers time sure and i always want to keep that upgrade Mm -hmm. and so once i make that upgrade so say a city's area of influence i'm going to improve every tile I can in that area of influence sort of as quickly as I can and then leave it and move on to the next city area so that that city is just producing the most it possibly can. In Endless Legends, it's different. I can't just leave that city once it's once it's going, once it's started. I have to be looking at it every turn if I really want to be producing the best possible. Whereas in Civilization, I just set it and leave it, which I like about Endless Legends but it also, I think, for some people who like to play a quicker game, a faster game, that's it's not as helpful or productive. Quick yeah. little tangent. If dust were money in our real world, I'd have Fort Knox in my room. <laughs> well, it's a specific type of dust. I'm sure they have normal dust Skin in the dust. planet of Oregon. Yeah. Bring, bring a bunch of cats. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Is it really all that different, though? Because as the game it in is, Endless yeah. Legend goes on, you get new resources springing up. You're kind of putting stuff into that. You're expanding the city. But in Beyond Earth, the same thing happens. Your borders are expanding. That area that you have to pay attention to is getting bigger. New resources do appear. It would be similar in the context of you can assign your citizens in Beyond Earth to slots in a building. So you have, like, engineer slots, science slots. You can, in Endless Legend, put all of your people under food. All of your people. And they'd go there by default, all the people under production. So if you're building a settler, for example, don't have anyone in food because your city's not producing food anymore, move all of your people to doing production, That is a really helpful money. load screen tip, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that, that, that was super that was helpful. That that I had forgotten until today, and I was like, oh yeah, that's really useful. Well, I, so, it just seems obvious to me because I'm always in that screen. Yeah, I'm not producing any food in this city. Why would I have anybody there? Well, but I do respect your distinct efficiency with every single turn being as efficient as you can make. But no, <laughs> even it, though I think it's a little bit absurd that it's and you every, were beating me. So there every we go. civilization, every civilization <laughs> what game. What cost, man? <laughs> yes, what cost, Kelvin? What in, cost? In every civilization game I've ever played, you can make your city so it is producing the most possible every turn if you find a balance between production food and other stuff you just leave it because that is just the best mix for that city possible hmm. I've found that every every civilization game I found whereas in Endless Legends it's different I'm going to want to deal with every city every turn I, I actually de- I've never gone into this level of detail with a city or anything so I actually find what you said very interesting because I didn't know you could I, I guess I figured you could do that I just never would have thought to so we say that Beyond Earth isn't that much different from Civ Five. Who here has the most experience with the Civilization franchise in general? Probably you three. 
So here's my question. Steam for both of them. Between Civ Five and Civ Four, was there about as much difference as there is between Civ Five and Beyond Earth? No. Oh no. no. Okay. No, I was wondering if close. the context of a greater history of Civ would make it seem I, better. There were such Honestly, massive changes between Four and Five. Such a huge improvement. Beyond Earth is basically Five again. Okay. Did, that was really all. Somebody was remind me. What did I spend on Beyond Earth? Fifty or was 50, it yeah. sixty? No, I think it was oh, 50. it might have been fifty nine ninety nine. Yeah, yeah, it was, was fifty nine ninety nine. I hate to be that guy, but I really feel like this was a Scam. skin for Civ Five, yeah. Yeah. and I should I have paid a twenty dollar well. upgrade or something. Yeah, if it wasn't for the soundtrack, which I, I was, loved, I was yeah to no end. But there's I no Leonard Nimoy in this. This is horrible. <laughs> You know Leonard Nimoy. Come on, Spock. Yeah, I know who Leonard okay. Nimoy is. He but... reads all of the tech upgrades in Civ Five. That's who that voice was. But not the expansion, because also the, in the, the text that were added for the expansion. It, it was cheaper at launch. The base game. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to answer Will's question more thoroughly about the heroes, but also describe the game a little more thoroughly, just overall, as far as the things that I really think make this shine, and we've talked about this for the whole course of the podcast, are the uh, storyline and the characterization of the different sides and just the feel of the game. They really do a great job of fleshing out this whole world. Eight unique sides, they've got their own storylines, their own quests, their own heroes. The heroes have their own abilities, you will, when the game starts, you'll build your city, you'll go out and you'll explore ruins. There are different quests that will come up. You have the main quest line for your side, but you also have quests that you get from ruins, which is what Will had mentioned with the shield. There's a quest, you go in, you fight this monster that appears, and you actually fight the monster in battle mode, and you get the shield, and the shield is better. Just a little quest right there. There's a bigger version of that where you find a blade that is encased in glass steel, and you have to get it out of there if you want the sword. So you go, you build that in the city in that region. You have to build a glass steel extractor on the ruin, and then you get that sword. And that sword is awesome. Does there, have... There's other stuff that comes up, though. If so your hero's name is Arthur, do you just get to take it? Actually, that's a little of fact. If you rename your hero at the beginning of the game, you basically win everything. Just, you know, make sure you get the real Zephyr Blade. Um, <laughs> so, over the course of the... <laughs> over the course of the game, you'll, un- you'll research different technologies which will uh, reveal different material, uh, different strategic and luxury resources that will start to appear across the map. And your hero can get full armor, full sh- shield, weapon, and jewelry to fully deck him out. You want to get your hero to be really, really strong, because you can do that. He's going to be... He can be the strongest unit you have in your entire military force, and he's going to be just super powerful, great at soaking up all the damage. He'll protect your whole army. You get a really... Several really powerful heroes. You just steamroll everyone. That's all there. I I really felt like I was really getting into the storyline of each individual side, and they really characterized everything well. There's also the overall... And I also... How does that play into replayability? Don't you? S- I'll tell you exactly you how. When, when he starts the game, he's like, ah! And he gets all excited about the intro cinematic, because I feel like you know the story pretty well, right? Uh, there's an overall story of the planet that you're on, and then there's the story of each individual side, and that plays into how you're going to play the game. But you get, like, warm fuzzies when you see certain sides, because you remember their story. I Yeah. Absolutely, but I'm you know I'm all about the story. So yeah, yeah they, they they just tell an interesting story. I thought it was quite good. And uh, I mean, they, uh, granted, I only so, got two quests in, but if you know <laughs> you're not much, <laughs> <laughs> that is very little. 
That being said, if sure. I always play the same race, am I always going to talk to two people, go find this bad thing, That's always do question. these exact same things in order to get to the end? Each race has its main storyline. There are also different ways that you can actually win the game as far as science victory expansion. All eight storylines end the same way. You build a the wonder, the temple of the Earth's core, and you achieve a wonder victory. If you go the quest route, while it is very unique for each individual side, you get to the same place. The reason you're building that temple is because the planet of Auriga is having a massive ecological disaster, and it's going to be uninhabitable. In the case of the ardent mages, they find a way to ascend, and they build this piece of technology to allow them to do that, the temple of the Earth's core. The cultists do something similar. They build the same wonder, the necrophage, hide their eggs all over the planets. Which is the one that hides in a bookcase and then sends themselves back in time? I haven't played through as every... What? What? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I think Wait, I'm missing a key uh, reference. I'm, I'm definitely missing... A... That was Interstellar. I, I actually have not seen Interstellar yet. Spoilers! Yeah. <laughs> Fuck, is that really what happens? Yes. That's oh fucking God. weird. Let's not talk about the plot of Interstellar and just admire what the beauty the fuck, of Christopher it. Nolan? So as far as so replays, all these ace guys are trying to save this planet. Uh, eight races. Eight races are trying to. Well, they're trying to do different things. Uh, in case of the necrophages are trying to destroy everyone, the ardent mages are trying to. They're trying to destroy the planet. The necrophages are. They're like the Zerg from Starcraft. They want to eat everything. Literally, they want to eat everything. Yum yum yum. It's like a, it's like Alberto in in insectoid race form. What on earth was the question again? Did I answer what you were saying, or do you... Races... Uh, I really want to know this, actually. More story. What, I are? want more I, story. I really want to know if... So I've been playing... You oh, yeah. Replay value. Replay. I've been playing one side again and again. How similar is each experience I get going to be, in terms of quests? Uh, How much no, it's, it's, it's the same quest line. Okay. Each time. So each side has its own quest line. That being said, you can choose to ignore it, not do any of the quests, and just conquer the planet, or get a right. scientific victory by just researching everything. You can expand every territory, although how that's different from conquest, I'm a little unclear, because if you have every territory under your control, you've wiped everyone out. So, there really isn't much as far as ending cinematic, it just gives you a little screen that says, you've achieved a wonder victory, or you've achieved a supremacy victory. By is there some lore out. that goes along with Hashtag it? Hashtag BAMF. Well, the lore is sort of covered in the realization. If you go along the quest line, each side realizes that the planet is doomed. And so they choose to do something to either perpetuate their species. Like, the Vaulters leave the planet. And that's actually covered in Endless Space, where the Vaulter civilization exists in in the greater galaxy. So they leave. The necrophages really plant cool. eggs everywhere so they can grow, Gross. perpetuate, after the disaster is passed and conceivably like the planet is habitable again. Delicious. Uh, the Ardent Mages ascend, cultists become energy beings, they say that pretty explicitly. The cultists do something similar. I don't actually know what every single race does, I've not played through that many times. I sure. the replay is about eight, you know, eight times, one for each side, and then on top of that, however many other styles of playthrough you want to have. Yeah, I mean, it's it doesn't sound like it's any better or worse than playing through Civilization V a bunch of times. No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that, certainly. Yeah. I mean, they got more of a storyline so to it as well. Would you, say, would you say that the quests are intrusive? Like, if you did want to just keep playing through again and again, would you be more inclined to go back to one of the Civilization games because you found the quests in this game too f annoying? You can, like, permanently dismiss all quest notifications, can't you? You can completely ignore the quests. A lot but of doesn't that put you, set you back? 
Not necessarily. The quests are there as You get rewards for quest completion, right? Yeah, but you could spend the time that you would be questing on driving towards a certain kind of victory. If you really aggressively expanded and built up your military, I I, I think, well... Probably comes out a bit even. Well, what you end up doing, what what makes practical sense is you get a lot of quests. um, Oh, one other aspect of this, there are sub-factions in each individual territory. There are maybe up to three local villages, and they you can parlay with them, they'll give you quests. You get quests from the ruins, you get quests from your civilization, you get quests from these sub-factions. So you'll get a lot of quests that'll come up, and you can do them or ignore them. Some quests are embarrassingly easy, like make sure there are no enemy units in the territory for five turns. And if you and just five turns. well, over the course of five turns, if there are any enemy units, <laughs> that's even easier. That is yeah, easier. I was easier. I thought I had to keep them out for five turns. Well, I don't. Either way, I, I usually get that when I've just started the game and uh, just like okay, if there aren't any enemies around, I'm gonna do nothing, wait the five turns, and then get the quest reward. So <laughs> I literally have to do nothing to beat that quest. In other cases, it's like find emeralds, and if you don't have emeralds within your immediate your vicinity, it's just like well, what? I like I the mean? ones that are like have a stockpile of fifty of a certain resource at the end of five turns, and I, I was like what? And then there's some. Then there's then there's some like bring back wine. bring back thirty of this strategic resource, and it's just like screw you guys, I'm gonna destroy destroy your whole village now because you're being jackasses and then you, you get it that way. So you kind of do the quests that make the most sense. i uh, also say this about the sub-factions, they can get very interesting. For example, the cultists have the unique ability of they'll incorporate several different sub-factions and you can do this for all of the sides, incorporate a sub-faction and then get their unique unit. The cultists, however, cool. the cultists build one city so they kind of they have some unique abilities. One of them is each of the villages that they control of their sub-factions, they will actually build units for the cultists. So they'll be constantly pumping out units. Which is why I said, when you found the Kazanji village, which are the giant demon creatures, it's like, yeah, oh, scary. damn, build as many of them as you can, because when I played as the cultists, I found them in the next region over, three of their villages, and I just was constantly pumping out <laughs> demons for the whole course of the game. And I had no Fucking I had no problem achieving any of the victory types at that point. Because you were that guy on the map. Their heroes are also really powerful. They make they make one really focused empire. Oh, the minor units produce heroes? Or the minor uh, factions? No, no, no. Uh, oh, no. sorry, sorry. No, okay. I, I produce heroes, and I put them in there with the demon armies, and I, just, <laughs> I, I went out and conquered the planet very easily. And that was from one city. That was the thing. The cultists only awesome. built one city, and so oh. I had the massive army that just went everywhere. And by, by one city, and then just nothing. There was just nothing, nothing, because I was clearing out cities as I went. And That's awesome. It was phenomenal. Have you ever had anything happen like that in... Civilization. I think the closest thing would be in one of the expansions for Civ Five. There was what Venice was just the city state. Venice was very unique, yeah. But you, Venice you, seemed like uh, the only side in the civilization thing that really kind of changed things up to any significant degree. I would say that's true. Other than some of them, I just remember us being like, "Yeah, of course, Galton's going to play Korea because Korea is easy. Korea he's gonna is own great. I mean, you can well, like, science. It's just science is like it ended up being a hierarchy. I, the, science and then military is the way you beat the game. Korea just has a bonus there. It's like, well, why would I not take advantage of that? Right. But in this game, uh, it's not like there's one side that's easy. Like, I just... in The the Necrophage were pretty easy. I had had a very easy time conquering the planet with them. Their units are very powerful. But they do... But they feel different, I guess, the point set. Well, they do feel different. You're insects. Although, one thing I found... There there are certain points of disconnect in the game, like when you are the Necrophage, and the entire species is described in their quest line as being a race of mindless savages, yet you're researching all this advanced technology... (laughs) 
It's just yeah. like, uh, this is this is taking me out of it a bit. This is definitely, oh, I just entered the Age of Enlightenment. No, I didn't. No, I did not do that. That is not, that is not what's going on right now. That is not canon. Because I it is not canon. There is one, because according to this quest line, there is one intelligent person in the entire species who's running this whole thing. Me, I'm the guy writing my journal entries about the necrophage. Am I just doing all this in my spare time? I, I guess that's how it's going. I don't know. Well, I have to say one thing about the civilization. Yes, all of the civilizations feel similar, but also on the same note, they're all very balanced. There are, There's no differences between any of them. Exactly. They're the affinity differences. That's the only real difference, though, because you get unique units. There. What happens at the end of abilities. Beyond Earth when two of the teams are on, like, you both have final level units? I, well, like I said, Does that I'm even not actually, I've not seen that. I, That's I, lame. I have, I have uh, played Beyond Earth 2 having my units... So I played Supremacy, and I got to final level, and then there was two different other AIs who got to Purity, and one Whoa. that got to Harmony. Oh. And mm-hmm. so the Purity guys were very tough to fight. Harmony I was able to, for some reason, mow over pretty easily. But they did balance each other out. Uh, I think I think they did... Quite like Lord of the Rings. I think they did balance out, but it's also your choice on what you... In Beyond Earth, it's your choice on what you develop for your units. The choices you make on your unit upgrades that end up being very good against, say, something ranged or something close combat that can make tip the balance a little bit in your favor or against it. In Endless Legend, the combat sequencing is extremely different, though, because you're not just pretty much individual units against individual right. units. Instead, it's armies against armies, and then that makes the dynamics just... Better. Different. Yeah. It's an answer question that, no, I never really saw the same kind of Civ. I like this combat in Civ. I yeah. like Civ. just wasn't, uh, wasn't quite the Certainly. same. So Civ Five has a whole bunch of scenarios. I don't know if you guys have ever gotten into any of those. Mm. Yeah. Those are interesting. Yeah. More so. I, okay. Well, I, I mentioned the, that earlier. Like, that's something they could have done for Beyond Earth, is have those scenarios, be able to create the scenarios that would then draw you into a story for this world or these worlds that you go to. I think that definitely would have been an, a great addition to it. It's sort of lackluster and sad that they didn't do it. I think it's also something they could have done in Endless Legends, but they didn't need to. Definitely could be an expansion they could make in addition to the game, but honestly, the gameplay is good enough as it is, especially multiplayer, that I don't think it's necessary. Whereas in Beyond Earth, to draw you into the story, I believe it would have been a necessary part. So a big part of the thing that I like about those is that they can, because they're setting up a scenario, they'll you'll start the game with owning half the map and all kinds of resources and the ability to generate a dozen resources per turn, not have to worry about, you know, they can just throw out certain pieces of the game and just go from the big, giant battles. Is there anything like that in Endless Legend? No, I don't think there's anything like that in either game. And I think, I don't want to give an excuse for the developer, but it feels like a big part of the reason that that was they spent time developing that for the Civilization series was to give players the opportunity to be in historical moments more than it was in a gameplay sense to give like an immediate jump to the climax sort of scenario. I'll also say that with Civ, they had a definite advantage of not having to make up any plot line. It's exactly. already human history. You already exactly. had all that background. You're, you're playing as uh, Japan. You already know what Japan is. You don't need the developer to do a damn thing. You have your whole story already. Exactly. So, that's why, you know, like I said, 
Like that whole Egypt game, because that girl loved Egypt, so, you know, we're going to play Egypt, and she's got her whole historical background to it already, doesn't need any characterization. In Beyond Earth, we don't get that same sort of thing. Right. But, on the other hand, they did have the precedent of doing that. There's no reason they couldn't have, especially in Beyond Earth, made up some things, or just been like, call, hell, call the mode battle simulation. Change the names to protect the innocent, and... Well, that's that yeah, that's a whole other strategy, that's, that's yeah. That's fair. All of a sudden... Mm-hmm. Fittler is trying to... (laughs) (laughs) Fittler's bad. He loves martial arts, and he hates the Jewish people. (laughs) What? Wow. I'm the necrophage. What? Well, no, then you just you just have him go up the way. We, we I don't know. We just we, we cross game side. What? I'm no, the Pan Asian Cooperative. No, you have to. Oh, he hates me. Go, go, have him go Actually, for the security track. It'll be perfect. So there you go. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Or supremacy. Not harmony. Just not harmony. No. Hitler's you, not Gandhi can do guy. harmony and then nuke everyone. Nelson no. Mandela is here. Oh, he day. They got... Bebama. <laughs> Ubama. 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 There you go. Ubama. That's Ubama. <laughs> I think that leads well into what would we add to each of these games? Definitely right. characters. There's some characters in here. Let's give some background for these uh, different sides in Beyond Earth. It would have been so much interesting to have some fleshed out story as far as why they left Earth and what, how the heck those alliances formed, the Pan-Asian Cooperative, whatever happened to make the Japanese and the Chinese cooperate. Yeah, seriously, <laughs> mystery to how me. How far in the, huge, the future was that? You just want to know backstory? I'm I want backstory, backstory and current and, story. Yeah, and current. I want like I want in AD twenty twenty six hundred. There's six hundred years of history we can talk about there. I want that StarCraft storyline. I want good. a storyline to introduce you to each of the different factions, why they chose that way, and what it will get you. I want that that introduction and that carrying through also of either characters or some certain city or something a region that so, you can develop. It will then carry you through to actually grow to appreciate each of the different factions. A lot of the complaints that we and others have been throwing out is that Beyond Earth feels too much like a mod. Yes. Do you think that backstory would help that? Because I actually think it might. If it felt yeah. more like a fleshed out yeah. game, that's one of the things that makes a mod feel like a mod is that the story doesn't really take place in the base game's world, and that yeah. is kind of what's happening in Beyond Earth. So it's almost like if they did add a story and they made, like, this game makes sense in its own world, mm-hmm. that would actually do a lot to just address yeah. a lot of the what are otherwise seem like mechanical lack of differences. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Will? I have a hard time not thinking of that as just, just another one of the scenarios for Civ Five. But did you like the scenarios in Civ Five? I did, but I wouldn't spend $60 to play... Civ Five again. One scenario in Civ Five, <laughs> Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you think part of the problem is that they eight. really did a good job? Do you think part of the problem is that they did a really good job designing Civ Five, and there wasn't really a lot of room to improve in the same way that there was going from four to five? That is something I thought of actually. Mm-hmm. There was reached like a design zenith. I mm, I don't know what I would have changed in I all honesty. Wanted, maybe it's a lack of creativity on my part. I'd say maybe they should like have I waited longer, but it's been five years. I'm, I mean, I think that I what. Kelton was talking about earlier, I think would have been a great thing to change where it's like you don't necessarily see the tech tree until you, say, discover a certain thing on the map, or even just they randomize what planet you get onto, and each time your tech tree could 
morph into something else. That would have been cool if the world actually reflected what abilities you had. Right. Like where there was more connection between the world you were playing. And I was kind of mentioning it earlier when we were talking about it, but if you think, and I haven't actually played uh, Super Mario Galaxy, but the way the galaxy works, anybody? Not nobody's played Galaxy? I played it. Not for a You're long You're like time. walking like, around the world and it's a big old sphere and you can walk around the sphere. If you had the hex grids on these giant spheres and then could like space jump between the spheres. Yes. That would actually make it feel like it like was in space. space. Yeah, 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 that's true. yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah. Any new mechanic involving the fact that we are on another planet. Yeah. Yeah. Multiple planets would have certainly helped. There was a... a Moon I don't know what it, it turned into, just another resource. Space turned into a resource in this game? Is, did I understand that right? Uh, you could put satellites in space? It was, it was another, another, another space? It was another like, layer. But it's yeah. really it's layer uninteresting. You could do is farm it, right? You can yeah, clear miasma, you, you can put down miasma, you can spy on your own territory, and that's about <laughs> it. It's not interesting. It's not even like an imaginative imaginative vision of what space could be in the future. It's kind of like what we have now. Oh, you want cell phones? Put up a satellite. <laughs> All right, we did some pretty good novelty work here. Ship the game, guys. <laughs> <laughs> what about Endless Legend? What would we do to change that? The Personally, I found the storyline of the planet being destroyed. I, I thought that was... Good. I would almost say that limited the replay value for me, because I knew what each of those quest lines was going to become. So the beginning of the game for me was far more interesting than the end. I didn't really care to get to the end, because the winter season gets longer, and the gameplay becomes more difficult as time goes on, and everything I do is going to get wiped out, and it's kind of... Kind of it's the emotional investment well, thing. Well, it kind of sunk in the back of my mind. I was like, wow, everything I do is going to get destroyed. And so it kind of... It's beautiful. ...took me out of it a little bit. And I mean, obviously, you know, <laughs> if I'm playing SimCity, I destroy my city at the end of it with a bunch of disasters, of course, but I don't plan I on back. doing that, you know? <laughs> I don't plan on making that happen. My stack interchanges will last forever. <laughs> yeah, your ridiculous bridge interchanges. <laughs> this bridge, and then we put a bridge on top of it. We're going to put a few more bridges so up there. Cool. Yellow tower bridge, like, Bridges. Bridges. Oh my god, it's like a roller coaster. I have to say, for Endless Legends, it's a little difficult sometimes for me to see each of the different pieces moving around on the board mm. um, and interact with the hex grid. The hex grid is there, it should be pretty easy to see, but the way just the texturing worked on it, mm-hmm. I had trouble moving between different parts of the map because of these gorges or these cliffs that I wouldn't not- see. A lot of time, and that yeah, honestly, that was that, that, that became that. a little annoying at yeah. some points. But it was so, so pretty. While we're talking about pretty. that nasty ass endless legend interface, what? The, I, oh, hold up! What, what the I, fuck? Please, please elaborate. The, we're gonna get the explicit the, tag just for that. Can I? <laughs> <laughs> that, that was it. I hope it was worth it. <laughs> sorry, the hex about? was on top of the thing the entire time. You could turn if the hex grid on. I have to admit, I, I went into that the settings. Hex grid on and off, and it still was on top of the graphics the entire time. Yeah, of course. And you just want the graphics to turn off? Uh, I want just a hex grid. In fact, I want a terminal interface. I want white where there's things. I and want black these great graphics not. that you're telling me in the game to actually show up and not just be covered behind all of the crap. And the other thing that I hated was all of, there was so many resource icons littered across. 
everything all over the place. You Couple see things. Shit. I set the world difficulty to easy every time we played. Oh, that so does explain a few things. There's, yeah. there's, there's that that you need to keep in mind. So heavier resource saturation yes. everywhere. Yes. Another thing is, in this game, you can actually zoom out to get a context of the world. In that that Beyond cool. Earth, I, you cannot yeah. do that. No. no. You can zoom out like two clicks. And you can do that in Civ 5. You, you can zoom definitely all the way out could. and look at the whole planet. So... Yeah. No. I, I don't, oh, yeah. In Civ 5, you no. zoom... I had the context of the entire world in Beyond Earth because that was the, one of the first things that I got. So I know that it's possible. What? The to, context of the whole? You mean the reveal edges of the map? I was able to see where you guys were on the planet. I couldn't actually see what you were doing. Right, but, but I'm I saying just the with the camera world. alone, you couldn't pull out enough to see the whole thing at once. Half of it. Okay, I wasn't even seeing that much. And remember that we played on a tiny map in Civ. Okay, but... Again, this was a perk that I had. I did the same thing sitting next to Kelton in Endless Legend, where I pulled out and could only see the little area that I was in, and Kelton pulled out and could see the entire map, and I was just one tiny little square at the top. Yeah, so I played as I play as dragons every time. I just like dragons; they're pretty awesome. So dragons, their special <laughs> God, ability I pick a new civilization. is they are <laughs> <laughs> they are immediately introduced to every other group out there. Every other race, every other civilization, whatever you want to call it, and faction. Yeah. So you're saying the dis- the amount the camera pulls out is directly determined by how much you see on the map. Yeah, I think that's true. Well, that games. would make sense, but I had reveal coastlines on, so I saw the whole map. Most of it was shroud, but I still did, and I still wasn't able to pull out as far. What I like about it is such as when you pull out. <laughs> <laughs> Zoom out as far. Come on. <laughs> it's phrasing. But in Endless Legend, you can zoom way out, and not only can you zoom way out, but the the whole representation of the map changes to be more iconic, which is awesome. And I think it's really helpful, because when we were playing Beyond Earth, I was like, where the fuck is my geothermal resource? Give me a different... I have to hunt the map for it by looking for the thing. Whereas in Endless Legend, I can zoom out, and I can see a little glyph for geothermal. Like, Give me a different word than iconic. Iconic is not typical and... Glyphed? It looks like it's a painting when you come... When you zoom zoom out. out. That's really cool. Yeah. It's like a classic map. It is like a classic map. It's pretty cool. I like yeah. how the trees are drawn. Yeah, when you zoom out far enough, like there's little drawings of trees where there's forests. Like it's really, it looks like someone scribbled with charcoal. It's actually pretty cool. Old timey. Yeah. I, I hate doing this again. I know Civ 5 has an option where you can just click on it and it will change to that on the map. Yeah, like. I uh, don't know if Beyond Earth had that, but. Beyond Earth didn't have that as far as I could tell. The resource like, view? Yeah. I could not find re- that. I believe I found that, the resource view, but it was annoying, and it's still, even if you were scrolling across the map, it, you had to hunt for it everywhere, and you had to zoom in fairly far to be able to see the resources, even if it was turned on. Yeah. It was annoying. It just wasn't user-friendly. Yep. Fly by No did the soundtrack to all of Amplitude's games, and they tend to be pretty different. I've listened to all the soundtracks for Wait. Dungeon of the Endless, Endless Space, mm. and Endless Legend. say I give the sound effect to Beyond Earth a 10. I would as well. It's badass. That's it's actually awesome. the one thing I'll say is better about Beyond Earth, the soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Can you talk about what tracks did you like about Beyond Earth and what was good about them? The menu theme was just awesome. It, it does perfectly space really well. Yes. It sets up, it's like an orchestral vibe, but it hits just, I don't know if it's the chords or I don't know what it is exactly, but the, that menu music just is 
just like, okay, time to land on a planet. The yeah. menu music introduces you to the game through this inspirational dialogue of music that just draws you in with a bunch of different chords and a bunch of different just inspiring, almost orchestral feel to it. It just draws you into the game. Wants you, you, and you want to hit start, but you also want to wait on that page because you want to listen to it a little bit longer. Exactly. Yeah, that's the one thing and that they do really well to characterize. Is it like that operatic singing from five. That's yes, 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 yes. It is that level of good. Didn't oh that track God. win a And we get back Grammy? to the reason that you should just get five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just just get five, find some ask any of us poor souls that bought <laughs> Beyond Earth for the soundtrack and then <laughs> You can play the soundtrack while playing uh, Civ Five, and you'll have the best of both worlds. Yep. Yeah, the soundtrack for Beyond Earth sways pretty dramatically between that sort of muted orchestral space theme to just generic ambient music, with kind of sounds of like sort of space miasma. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that's actually quite good. It's good reading music, I think, depending on what kind of book you're reading. There was some harp. We think it was harp music yeah. that sounded a lot like Final, Final Fantasy, Fantasy X for a while. In Endless Legend? Yeah. Yeah. Endless Legend has a much more fantasy oriented soundtrack. It's very it's much more minimalist, but it's it's very good in its own way, but it's not something that is as good divorced from the context of the game as Beyond Earth, which I definitely listen to at work and other places. Yeah. I think it's about time to wrap up. Do you have any final thoughts? Endless Legend is awesome. And Beyond Earth is also quite good, but definitely needs some work. For the price points, Endless Legend, all the way. Agreed. I'd give Beyond Earth a uh, 6 out of 10, and I'd give Endless Legend an 8. Cool. I felt far more comfortable with Beyond Earth, but again, that's just me coming from Civ. I felt far more comfortable in the game being in charge of telling me what I needed to, to remember to do. Again, it just felt like the old standby. I liked Endless Legend, particularly when I saw the stuff that the heroes could do. That seemed really interesting, although I didn't get a chance to get too deep into it. Unfortunately, I only played them both today, so I'm really not comfortable with giving them a rating. Yeah, I'll actually refrain from rating Endless Legend, but I will say the first, because I've played both of them about the same amount of time, I felt comfortable with Civ, but Beyond Earth, but I didn't really, like when I played it, it was like, it was pretty, it was cool, but then that feeling faded pretty much, away. yeah, faded away almost immediately, and I was like, I feel like I'm playing Civ 5. This is not what I really wanted. Sure, the soundtrack is awesome. Endless Legend, while I was playing it, at first, some of it, like, the, I mean, of course, just because I wasn't used to the interface as compared to... It, there were some similarities to Civ, so that was kind of nice, but... I love that interface. It's so good. It just made so much more sense to me than any of the Civs ever have. I really, really actually did like the combat mechanics in Endless Legend. I, that was just really, really cool to see and have. So... Yeah, I feel like I'll definitely... Though I know that I probably didn't figure out some stuff in Beyond Earth, nothing compels me to want to necessarily go back and play it again. Certainly. Um, yeah. This, like, around this legend, I definitely will go back through and continue playing and try to, like, figure out what more I can do with it and how long I'll stick with it, but I'm, at least that curiosity is still there. And the fact that Endless Legend, I paid two-thirds of what I paid for for... 
beyond Earth, I definitely feel like I got my money's worth with Endless Legend. For me, I've always had kind of a tentative relationship with the Civ games. I played a lot of Civ 3, and I know very definitively what I enjoyed about that game was enjoying seeing my cities grow. Especially with Civ 3, like, you know, you could you had that screen where it showed you your city and you would place different styles of building. That was always the thing that got me going, and like connecting the cities and kind of the infrastructural level of it. Remember the spaghetti from 4? Yeah, just the... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, Yo, dog, we heard you like roads. <laughs> like rails? Wouldn't All you want roads? <laughs> <laughs> so that was what I always liked. I've never been very good at really strategizing or planning out or taking over. I just enjoy building my own empire. We played a lot of Civ Five here in this group of friends, and it was always fun, but I never was very interested in really being successful at it. It was just something to kill time with the guys. Beyond Earth did not make me feel any different, even though I liked the game and the setting way more. I was way more interested in the sci-fi aspect. It still just didn't call me in. Endless Legend, on the other hand, is much more... It's a game that I'm interested in playing more than Civ ever was. The quests and the things that are happening in the world and the depth of the battle system and all the things with crafting the items, everything about it feels more interesting, more deep, more worth getting to know than any of the Civs ever really have to me. I haven't played enough or gotten further in either to really feel comfortable giving them a rating, but I will put the two head-to-head and I say definitely Endless Legend is a far more interesting and better presented and more innovative game. And I think that there was pretty good reason why Rock Paper Shotgun gave it Game of the Year last year. Doesn't, don't you feel like City Skylines is a better Beyond Earth? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do like that in this I'm building armies and stuff. Like, there are cool units. I have a hero. I'm decking out my hero. I'm not building bridges, which is a major bummer, but, you know, it's still there still is something that makes this better than... You don't care about combat? No, but I like having armies. Remember Generals? Yeah. Just no, hoarding that well army was. forever, building up the cities, and then just being like, Voomph. okay, I'll win, I guess. <laughs> like, that's that's how I like to play these games. It doesn't uh, work very well. General. He was great. He was great. Yeah. All right, I'm going to have to say that, uh, for me, Beyond Earth uh, just was not what it was initially pledged to come out and be. It was not, just was not up at the level that I was expecting, and I'd say if you want to play a game where you are building a civilization that's going to stand the test of time, or you're going to want to dive into that type of thing that Civ 5 is definitely a better game for your money and also just a better game overall. So if you're interested in something like that, Civ 5 is where you're going to want to go. Now, comparing Beyond Earth and Endless Legends, I feel that I like the heroes. I like diving into a character, having your own persona sort of on the battlefield, so to speak. And it is interesting but I, I found more enjoyment from Heroes of Might and Magic than I did from Endless Legends because there was more custom, customization for each of the heroes, which I really enjoyed. So I'm going to have to say that Endless Legends is better. I'd give it about a 7, and I'd give Beyond Earth about a 6. And let the record affectionately show that it is singular, Endless Legend. Cool. If there's only one legend, the planet dies. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it well, shows up in... It's, it's really cool that their lore crosses over. I really want to play more of these games just because of how well presented this one was. Yeah. Can I just say two more things real quick? You can yeah. splice them in wherever. Yes. Just as far as endless space goes, you do discover the legendary planet of Auriga. You can colonize it. It is a barren world. You can explore the moon. There's an endless temple on there. We didn't even talk about the Endless at all. They are the super advanced race that colonized Auriga and the galaxy in endless space prior to any other species being around. And a lot of the lore revolves around them recovering their technology, the different races, 
have um, their quest lines come from that. The Necrophage, I believe this is said at the very beginning, were created by the Endless, for example. I did want to ask about that. Yeah, that is a very important point. We did not touch on it all now that I'm thinking about it. The Forerunners? Basically mm. the Forerunners. Yeah. 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 The, the Proteans. Uh, yeah. at, the, at, the, at the end of Endless Insert Space. It's the All Story. At the end of Endless Space, when you get to the scientific victory, they tell you, yeah, your technology is basically on par with the Endless. You'll probably discover them out there in the greater universe somewhere. It's not said what happened to the Endless, but we can kind of assume it was like in Stargate where the ancients ascended, right. and it's probably that. It's also worth noting, on a slightly unrelated note, that a patch to Beyond Earth recently added the option at any point to play that map in Starships. There's a game, Sid Meier's Starships, that launched that, from everything I've read, looks like a take on Endless Space, right? It's a 4X that's more limited set in space, and from everything I've read, Endless Space is way better. Endless Space is... As about 12 different sides, I think it is. Yeah. And they're all very unique. You have the amoebas, you have the automations, you have several different human civilizations cruising around. You have the Horatio, which is a race of clones. One dude. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, the Horatio. <laughs> the Horatio. We're like the cultists in, the, in Endless Legend. And this one crazy... Here's the backstory for this one. Please include this in the podcast, oh, this by is the going way. Up there, don't the worry. Horatio. What dude named Horatio? This one, this one, yeah, this dude is a crazy empire trillionaire who went out to found his own star cluster, found a bunch of endless cloning technology. Just the Endless had these ruins everywhere on the around the galaxy. So he found this cloning facility... He was alone, and so he just cloned himself a bunch of times. His, the entire species are clones of this dude named Horatio. That's and Horatio. So, and so that, that's the, that's the, the side is called the Horatio. And so the war goes like this. And once the planet was repopulated, Horatio looked up into the sky, uh, looked upon the stars, and thought how much more beautiful they too would be if they were filled with the most beautiful thing in the universe. Horatio. <laughs> <laughs> the rest, as they say, is history. <laughs> and I just thought, my God, I am playing as the Horatio. Just, it's like it's like the developers said, what what side would Matt Sasu like to play as? I know what he would enjoy. That's awesome. <laughs> would you recommend that game to someone that's interested in this? Like, I, is it as well presented as Endless Legend was? I bought Endless Space on a sale for five dollars. That is the best. Did they ask you a serious question? I ever made. It was awesome. It was worth five dollars. It's a steal at four times the price. Wow. Yeah. What a ringing endorsement. Are there any female Horatio? No. Nope. Yes. What? Yeah. So, that I they don't get into those details. <laughs> it's like daughters. It's like daughters. I, I believe... It, no, they're siblings. Everyone is considered siblings. I'm going to guess they don't have sex with each other. What but it's all in entirely right. um, cloning. It's how they perpetuate right. the species. Right. Although the ships that they send out to colonize new plants are called reproducers. So you can make whatever inferences you want there. Nice. Uh, Oedipus or Electra related. And uh, there we go. Great game. Great game. I'm excited to try that. I don't understand how this game that is like totally high fantasy fits in in a science fiction world. So the concept of dust. So the different sides on there. This is the actually the other thing I wanted to say. The different sides in there. There are eight sides. You have the Wild Walkers, which are the elves. You have the Broken Lords. Oh, which are they going to get across these. the wall? <sighs> Because winter's coming, after all. But basically, like, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's, uh, I get it. That was good. Yeah. Well done. Ah! 
<laughs> Alberto's groaning over there. On, yeah, yeah. Keep keep growing, Alberto. They're like wood elves. So you got the wild walkers. You have the roving clans, which are tradesmen. You have the ardent mages, which are these sadomasochistic mages that are all about basically impl- inflicting self pain to enhance their magical abilities. There's Daenerys, the Slytherin, the Oh, sorry. <laughs> sure. Hufflepuff. Gryffindor. Hufflepuff. If I, if I, incidentally, if I was ever in the Harry Potter universe, I was in Hufflepuff, I would just be like, kill me now. Kill me now. This severely inhibits my evil resume. No one is going to take me seriously. Like, no, you are putting me in Slytherin. And that's it. So, At the very least, Ravenclaw. I mean, I, I think... <laughs> I can tie my shoes. Stab, I'm a Hufflepuff. Stab someone on day one with your wand, you should be moved right over to Slytherin, right? That's how that works, surely. Oh, my God. These other races. Right. Ardent mages. Say, uh, sadomasochistic masochistic mages, which, you know, fun. Um, if you're into that sort of thing, you've got the Broken Lords, which are these spirits that inhabit these suits of armor. And what else we got? Necrophage, which are basically like the Zerg, these insects that want to colonize and destroy the entire planet, eat everything. Cockroaches. Yes. You have the Vaulters, which are the spacefaring species, except their spaceship crashed. They've been living underground for a long time, and now they're back on the surface because of the ecological uh, instability. Let's see. You have the cultists, which are the side that I initially played in Endless Legends, which are these mechanical servants of these two creations of the Endless, these very powerful beings. And they build one city, and they build one big-ass city. They're an interesting side to play. They've got... That's a very unique uh, storyline with them. And for the life of me, I cannot remember the what the last side... The dragons? The Fucking hell. The dragons. How embarrassing for you. The peaceful, intelligent, oh, and no strangely religious dragons. Yes. <laughs> Sounds awesome. They, I, I, I like them. They're good. I'd play through with them. The draken. The draken, yes. They're uh, quite good. So you have a massive variety in the races that you can choose as well, which I really appreciated. I really like that you had all that. The dust is sort of the magical thing that they have in there, so they don't really explain, like, dust does this. It's kind of like a magical MacGuffin to do whatever you need it to. So That's what money is. It, effectively, a stupid yeah. so MacGuffin like the, that means so like nothing. The, so, like, the Wild Walkers can grow stuff more effectively. It's their magic. The ardent mages use it and cast their weird spells or whatever. The cultists create these ridiculous machines to serve them. But this and is... Okay, but this... Does it make sense in the context of... A They're, bunch of mages on this planet being able to get in spaceships and leave? Well, the only ones who were able to leave were the Vaulters. The cultists were, the necrophage were, the Endless did a lot of really weird stuff when they were kicking around the galaxy. Um, the Endless created several of the races in endless space, and they left up ruins everywhere. They basically created the Horatio from their, their cloning facility. It's a terrible analogy. They're like the engineers in Prometheus. So there's a lot of different... It doesn't make sense in the greater context. I don't necessarily know. For me, I appreciated the fun they were having with it. I I liked that they just kind of were like, yeah, let's have some dragons, let's have some mages, let's have all these other crazy things going on. They tied it together pretty coherently, I thought, and... uh, you know, that it does it make sense in a larger context? I guess I don't necessarily care. I thought it was fun. I thought they fleshed out the sides pretty well. I wasn't so concerned about the evolution of the planet or whatnot. Okay, Kelton basically described to me a spreadsheet manipulation with his whole... Oh, you play EVE Online? <laughs> oh, okay! Oh. That is exactly what that is. Uh, and I don't get that quote. 
Okay. That, that is I, a shame. Is it lost on you, really? Oh, it really doesn't okay. matter about the rest of the game. You can just say, here be dragons, and it'll be good enough. Well, I'm supposed to answer a question more seriously. I didn't feel like any sort of incohesion in that area really took me out of it. I wouldn't say it was is. Was there other magic in this game? I just assumed there was. Well, well I mean, the, the dragons catch fireballs. Well, but that might. That could be chemistry. Dragons. The the mages definitely have magic. <laughs> the broken lords. Hey, are in the Middle Ages, chemistry was so pretty much magic. That's yeah. magical. The Lightning wild bolts. walkers have some magic. Um, Hot sauce. It's not even so much magic. It's like a manipulation of this weird energy. The dust is described as being this unusual force that the endless manipulated and these different sides can manipulate. It kind of fills in for. Uh, is it the midichlorians? Yeah, sure. It's midichlorians. There we go. <laughs> it, it, it's oh, a, yeah, actually, it's the binding energy of the universe. There's that aspect. It's a very, it's a very full lore they have to this game. Which I I really like. That that for me was the main selling point of the whole game. And screw it, I'm bumping Endless Legend up to a nine out of ten. Hell yeah! I think that'll about do it. Uh, one more thing, Nate. Thank you very much for having me. Yes, thank you for being here. You are well qualified for this episode. This brings us to the end of another awesome episode of the Emotive Pixels podcast. If you want more from us, you can find us on iTunes and at our webpage, www.emotivepixelspodcast.com. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash emotivepixels, or follow us on Twitter at emotivepixels. And as always, keep Keep on playing. playing!